We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host, Nick Bellato. It's exciting times, baby. The Giants are 2-0, and that means we once again were graced with the opportunity by your grace, the king, not Joffrey, because he had urgent business with mother, but we were graced by the Giants for some all-22 winning film again today we will break down the Giants offense on the all 22 film not exactly their best game on offense let's be honest but at the same time there were some big time flashes from the offense in my mind in this game specifically from the passing game with Daniel Jones less so from the run game which we'll get to Um, obviously Carolina did an excellent job taking away a lot of what the Giants found success with in the run game specifically from a schematic standpoint this week and kudos to them giants had to adjust i like how they stuck with it but my key takeaway here nick would be this once again we have a game where the giants got an edge from a coaching standpoint specifically with offensive coordinator coordinator mike kafka and some of his designs which we'll go over some of his timely play calls and they also got an edge in my mind however slight it may be at quarterback i really do feel like daniel jones was a considerably better quarterback on film He made a few big-time throws that Baker didn't make. He made a few big-time runs that Baker didn't make. Now, it's a classic Daniel Jones game, which means it's Jekyll and Hyde, which means there's no consistency, and there's a lot of really bad plays by Daniel Jones, which we're going to go over too. But I do feel like they had an edge from a play-caller standpoint, had an edge from the quarterback standpoint, and ultimately I feel like that played a role in the Giants winning this football game. Am I going crazy? Did you also kind of feel like, at least on film, the Giants did have a slight edge, even if it is just a slight one, at the quarterback position? They absolutely did. Baker Mayfield, he was dealing with Wink Martindale's defense, which I can't wait for the defensive podcast. Because... And Ben McAdoo's offense. <laughs> and, and Ben McAdoo's offense. You want to talk about an edge. I think Mike Kafka has the edge over Phil Snow. That was apparent. But holy crap, does Wink Martindale have the edge <laughs> over freaking Ben McAdoo, ladies and gentlemen. Baker, Baker Mayfield had to deal with a lot of different kinds of pressures, a lot of different moving parts at the second level, a lot of lighter personnel packages and 11 personnel like all the time, reduced sets all the time, allowing like eight guys to crowd line of scrimmage in the box. So you never knew who was coming. So many protection mishaps. Whereas Daniel Jones had some of that as well. Daniel Jones left some plays on the field. I think it's safe to say that, but at the same time, Daniel Jones stepped up big in key 
critical situations with the third and nine throw to Richie James, with the third and 10 throw to David Sills. Both plays will go over here in a little bit. And he also just was very judicious when he was tasked to run the football, when Brian Dable and Mike Kafka entrusted him with huge play calls. He didn't do anything stupid. He didn't force anything. He did what he had to. He stayed calm in those situations. And he picked up first downs in those situations to help seal this win. Daniel Jones, it was up and down. It's kind of the story of Daniel Jones's career up until this point. But at the end of the day, he, in my opinion, was much better than Baker Mayfield was. Yeah, Daniel Jones made big-time throws and big-time runs in this game. We'll go over tomorrow when we talk about the defense, but I can't really think of too many big-time throws that Baker Mayfield made. He certainly didn't make any big-time runs. The to- the touchdown to DJ Moore and the throw before that were more so just good scheme, good, good, you know, a DJ Moore beating a, a rookie cornerback in my mind. So Jones, like you said, that third and nine, that third and 10, there are a couple others will go over and then some big time runs. Also, I mean, the stats bear it out, but this is something you could easily see on tape at times in the past under Garrett. One of the issues for Jones was actually ball placement. If you look at the numbers last season, the ball placement was the, among the worst it was in his career. In this game, the ball placement was really good. That wasn't one of Jones' issues. I said at the beginning of the show, Nick, it was a Jekyll and Hyde game for Jones, and I really do believe that. There were, there were really high highs, and there were honestly really low lows from Jones, from Jones. But ultimately, ball placement was not an issue for him in this game, and that's a really good sign. The, the issues which we'll go over were the same thing we've been talking about. Slow to process, slow to get the football out of his hands, not always seeing the field good post snap, right post-snap, and then just pocket manipulation and just bailing from pockets when he really shouldn't be bailing from pockets, but those will go over. But as far as the ball placement in this game, Jones was off target on just 14.7% of his throws versus Baker Mayfield, who was off target on 31% of his throws, more than double the percentage of throws. Baker Mayfield was considered off target, according to true media who gets their stats via PFF. And you might say, listening to that stat, well, is that because Wink Martindale made things a lot harder for Baker Mayfield. But the reality situation was Jones was actually pressured on a higher percentage of plays than Baker Mayfield. Jones was pressured on 46.5% of plays versus just 38.9% for Baker. And that's not for lack of trying from Wink Martindale. That's mostly because the Panthers were finding a way to get pressure without blitzing, which is gives you a little bit of an idea of the state of the Giants offensive line right now. I have a lot I want to talk about with you through that, specifically Mark Lewinsky, who to me had a really bad game in pass production. Evan Neal, who I thought struggled at times in pass production. And obviously the left side of that line at left guard and even at center where there are some issues in pass production. This was not a good game from a pass protection standpoint, in my opinion, for the Giants. I thought they were considerably worse than last week with the exception of, like you said, some plays where Jones stepped up. And even on those plays, like you talked about the third and 10 to David Sills, it wasn't really great pass protection. Jones made a really good throw under pressure there. So we'll get to all of that. But I did want to go over that stat first because I did feel like that made a big difference in this game. Jones just being a lot more on target from a ball placement standpoint than his opposing quarterback. I also find those stats to be a little funky sometimes because I think there were two quarterbacks in week one. And I don't know if this was PFF stat, but I think I saw this and someone can correct me that there were two quarterbacks who had no off-target throws, and it was Josh Allen and Daniel Jones. But Daniel Jones literally gift-wrapped, shined the shoes of Amani Hooker, and then just placed the ball right into his lap in the red zone for an interception. So I don't really know how that's quantified, yeah, that's if that's true. If, if, that's, if that's true and they didn't update that and they didn't like go back on that as an error, that obviously puts into question everything I just said. So hopefully they have updated that. I don't know. I think at least from the film, I test-wise, 
Jones was considerably more on target than Baker Mayfield. Would you say that? I would say so. I think the only big throw that he missed, he definitely missed just reads, but in terms yeah. of just big throws that he missed, the Shepherd, the Shepherd was the Shepherd ball. one. Yeah, right. That was a nice route by Sterling Shepherd. Nice little double move, and he and he missed it. Had a little bit too much mustard on it. It's not the end of the world. Baker Mayfield had one very similar to that with Shy Smith on a play that Ben McAdoo ran twice, and the Giants played underneath so hardcore on that. Shy Smith was wide open, but Baker just yep. could not get him the oh football on that one specific Such play. Such a miss by Baker. Crazy that miss. And on the and the funny man, you, we talk about Daniel Jones not being able to make throws on the run. On that same play that they called earlier in the game, the reason why the Giants played that so aggressively, he had DJ Moore in the flat and he just put it behind DJ Moore. He tried like doing a David Tyree catch on it and Adore Jackson just blew him up. Like Baker yep. Mayfield was bad in terms of his ball placement basically all game. Yeah, that was another really bad throw. Third and one, quick, easy hitter for Baker, and he just put bad ball placement. I did think there were a couple more throws that Jones was off from a ball placement standpoint. There was a really nice route on a third and long that Tanner Hudson ran, and he sat in the soft spot of the zone, and, and Jones yes. kind of skipped the ball to him. That's a key example that we can go over because it's really the difference between the Herberts and the elite-level guys. They never skip that throw in. The, they have the arm talent to rip that in. And also, I thought the next play, two plays after the Shepard double move, the route Shepard ran – which I thought was a pretty damn good vertical route. He had a pretty nice release at the top of his stem there. It wasn't an easy throw. Jones tried to fit it into a tight window on a deep ball, but he has this weird hitch into this throw that I want to go over with you that I think impacts the ball placement. And that ball placement was also off. But again, that's a difficult throw to make. So those are all be taken into account. We also have to keep into account, of course, the context of this game from a stat standpoint. The Giants average is 5.91 air yards per attempt versus 7.66 for Baker. Just 2.9% of the Giants' throws, David Daniel Jones, were deep passes 20-plus yards, 10.3% for Baker. So the average depth of target was a completely different situation. Daniel Jones, again, this is what the Giants are doing. This is their plan for Jones right now, at least, which is not really to challenge the defense too often on a vertical basis. Yeah, it's a lot of quick hitters. RPO, get the football out of Daniel Jones' hands, allow the playmakers to work. A lot of just... Play action bootlegs. They did a couple naked bootlegs, which just means there's no lead blocker in front of you. A lot of just move the pocket, roll Daniel Jones out, utilize his athletic ability, and then use horizontal crossing routes across the middle of the field, working against coverage, try to get some easy yards, or just slip Kadarius Tony out in the flat underneath Daniel Jones. They're, they're trying to manufacture a lot of easier touches for Daniel Jones, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, that's what good offensive coordinators yes. do. They make things simple for their quarterback. And a lot of those throws, if it's not there deep, just take the check down, take the yards, live to fight another day. And Daniel Jones, I felt like did a pretty good job in those situations. Yeah, I think so too. Overall, I think he did a pretty good job if I had to assess it. I think there were times where he worked a little too quick to the check down. One I want to go over specifically with you a little bit later, later in the game, a play to Shepard that I thought he left on the field because he quickly checked down to Barkley. No, the exact one you're talking about, yeah. I think. And that's okay yeah. because that one stood out to me and I put it on Twitter because it was just such a, I love the route combination there and I love the play design by Mike Kafka. So it stands out to me because I know they'll watch that on film and, and, and just like the Tony play will go over where Jones misses the deep over. They're going to show it to this guy on film, but the problem is like for me, at least Nick, it's so different live in game when the bullets are flying and everything's moving at a fast pace. You could have learned a lot. You could have seen it on tape. You could hope you can adjust, but it's not always going to be there for you. Somebody, I, I just, I go back and forth on what I've, what I've learned through the years with regards to, is this something you can fix 
regarding your post-snap recognition, processing, and vision on the field? Or is it something you naturally have? And, on, and that's something we'll never know. No one feels – I haven't heard any definitive take on that from any of the QB experts we've had on the show, from anyone we've talked about, from any of the film analysis I watch on YouTube, any of the podcasts I listen to. It just feels like some people feel like that can be coached, other people and, and developed. Other people feel like it's natural. We're never going to know. Uh, I don't think so, at least. But we hope that Daniel Jones can learn from those plays for sure. But like you said, we'll get into that because there were times I feel like in some ways part of the progressions here are either to get to that check down fast or to run with the football. And maybe part of that is the coaching, the coaches here, Dable and Kafka being like, look, we looked at a lot of Daniel Jones film before we designed this offense. And there were a lot of examples of him not getting to the check down fast enough or him not making the decision to break, collapse the pocket, try to run forward and, and and pick up something with his legs. And in those situations, it led to a lot of errant throws or it led to a lot of sacks or it led to a lot of sack fumbles. And maybe their whole idea is to eliminate the turnovers by having them get there quicker. And if that's the case, I can't really knock them. They're only, they can only coach what they have to work with at the quarterback position from a processing standpoint with Daniel Jones. So I have some more stats I want to go over and get your takes on. We'll do one more, I think, that I have that I want to go over with Daniel Jones. And then I want to talk about the run game because it was night and day for the Giants in this one. I'm happy they stuck with it and found some success in the run game in the second half. But overall, this was not a successful game for the Giants from a running standpoint. And kudos to the Panthers. They did a lot to take that away from the Giants. But at the same time, I felt like a lot of what the Giants tried to do and found success within the run game last week just wasn't there for them this week. So first, I want to talk about this because I thought it was really interesting. Jones averaged 8.33 yards per attempt throwing to his right versus 1.67 to his left. Is there anything to make of that, Nick, or is it just kind of how the game played out? I think it's more just kind of how the game played out. I'm not going to read too much into it. That's fair. Personnel groupings for the Giants, 70 plays on offense, 51 in 11 personnel. 9 in 12 personnel, 3 in 13 personnel, and 12 personnel is 1 back 2 tight ends. 13 personnel where they had 3 plays is 1 back 3 tight ends. 2 plays in 21 personnel, that's 2 backs and 1 tight end. One of those plays is the Brightwell play. And then 1 in 31 personnel, or that might have been that one actually, because they had Brightwell, Brita, and Barkley, so it actually was that one most likely. So, anything to make of the personnel groupings? If there's anything I'm going to read into it, Dan, it's, it's, I'm happy that Mike Kafka is diving into, I don't even know if I want to say a bag of tricks, reverting back to the 1960s, whatever the hell he's doing, <laughs> but bringing in 31 person to see it. It sounds, sounds weird even coming out of my mouth. 31 <laughs> personnel packages on these fourth and third and short type of situations where you can leverage the athletic ability of three different running backs and just get defenders eyes looking in so many different locations. So the fact that they even did that even a little bit, it came up huge for the New York Giants. But yes, mostly it's going to be 11 personnel. And it's funny, man. Three receivers out there on the field. Kenny Galladay only plays for two snaps. Both of them ended up being in the red zone. You can make of it what you want. Darius Slayton, I think, played like four snaps. You're talking about David Sills and Richie James here, like we said on the previous podcast, man. It's just, it's a wild time right now. And they're 2-0, so can't really knock it. Yeah, and that play was the thing of beauty. We'll go over it later, but my God. Kudos, Mike Kafka. Thank you for being here. But couple other things we want to see these numbers go up the Giants threw for a first down on just 23.5 percent of attempts one in four that number has to go up if you want to compete for Super Bowls against Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert because those guys are coming out of the east or the AFC and they're throwing the football really well so to win against those guys eventually the Giants are going to have to do that and that's just the fact of the matter for the future we're not looking towards that yet but I wanted to bring that up because they need to bring that number up for sure 
They faced man coverage on just 22.9% of the plays. Just thought this was interesting because Baker faced man coverage on 40.7. Wink started to get into his bag of man coverage there. Man, I wish that someone would play the Giants heavy man because I just remember from that rookie season and really throughout his career, Jones is just such a better quarterback against man coverage than zone. So one day I hope to see that number flipped. Now let's get into some of these rushing numbers, Nick, because the Giants were clearly stymied in the run game this week versus last week. So to start here, let's talk about this one. The Giants averages 0.64 yards per contact per rush. Before I'm sorry, yards before contact per rush. That was 1.57 for the Panthers. Almost triple the yards per contact, yards before contact per rush. That's a, a lot. Of, it's a mouthful right there. So what do you make of that? Is there anything to read into there? Yeah, Carolina did a good job with their defensive front, somewhat of like a college type of defensive front. It was an oaky front. So we talk a lot about tight fronts, right? This is a tight front only instead of having three techniques or four eye techniques, they're five techniques. So you have a nose directly over the top of a center and then two five techniques A five technique aligns on the outside shoulder of the of the tackle and then you have two linebackers who were basically put right into the b gap pressed up on the line of scrimmage this was carolina's front for a lot of the game and then they would have jeremy chin basically hovering around the line of scrimmage kind of floating back and forth sometimes rolled down towards the strong side and then they would have the other safety kind of tight so everything's kind of condensed they were really trying to focus on stopping the run and what that did was the giants had so much success running power gap last game against the tennessee titans right you can run power gap when you are uncovered, but when you have those linebackers pressed so close to the line of scrimmage and they're penetrating, and a lot of the times they were, they were shooting the gaps or they were just engaging the blocker and kind of trying to spill Saquon Barkley outside, similar to what similar to what Wink Martindale did against Derrick Henry. You don't know when to pull those guys because there were times in this game when the Giants attempted to pull and then Frankie Lubu would just shoot the gap right away and nobody picked them up. And it's also hard to form those double teams against that oaky front because you can form the double team on the nose and then you're going to have the tackle take the five technique by himself. And all you got to do is use both those linebackers to penetrate and the double team is going to be gone or one of those linebackers is going to go in unblocked. And that happened several times too. It's not a surprise that Frankie Lubu had like a Lawrence Taylor type of game here. He was the linebacker who was tasked to shoot a lot of those gaps. And to his credit, he did an excellent job. Funny story about Frankie Lubu. Him and one Nick Filato did a Jets camp when he was with the Jets. Him and I were partnered together wow. to coach young kids. So it was kind of cool to, to spend the day with them. Yeah, but obviously really cool. Really cool little note there, Nick. But I love that breakdown because schematically the Panthers made it an effort to defend the Giants and make them beat them without Saquon Barkley. And I get the feeling, Nick, that this is going to be a reoccurring thing for the Giants moving forward until Daniel Jones can prove that. He, and I'll just put everyone in this. Daniel Jones and the receivers and the offensive line can prove that they can challenge you down the field an intermediate basis on a consistent basis, not just two throws a game. I'm talking six to eight to 10 to 12, whatever some of these teams are doing. Not all of them have to be tight windows, but they do have to be intermediate or deep on a consistent basis. We may start to see this over and over because the Giants faced an eight-man box in this game, according to PFF and True Media, on thirty-three on one-third of their snaps, 33.3% of their snaps. It was just 13% for the Panthers. And that obviously, in addition to what you'd like you said, playing that Oki front and the way they played it schematically, played a big role in the fact that on 30.3% of the Giants rushing attempts, again, almost one-third, 10 runs. They got either zero or negative yards. That was only 8.7% for the Panthers. 
So it was really tough for the Giants to do anything. Even when they tried to run out of the gun, they averaged just 1.9 yards per carry out of the shotgun. They averaged just 2.48 yards per carry after contact versus 4.78 for the Panthers in their run game. That wasn't excellent either. Not a lot of yards after contact. Rushes, percentage of rush of rushing attempts were six yards or more, Nick, or five, it was actually five yards or more, just 27.3% for the Giants, 47.8% for the Panthers tackles missed tackles forced per run tackles avoided per rush just 18.2% for the Giants 52.2% for the Panthers so really just the Giants just could not get this running game going I'm happy they stuck with it because they needed to there just wasn't enough going on with their passing game in this game and ultimately it sprung some big plays in the run game that helped seal this game but this is something I'm a little worried about moving forward Nick our team's going to just simply do this copy this formula or something somewhat similar and say look Challenge, we, we challenge you. Beat us with Jones. Well, that's kind of what Mike Kafka did in this game, too. From an X's and O's standpoint, what did Mike Kafka do as the game progressed? He did a lot of those play-action bootlegs, right? And what did that end up doing? If you watch, like, the 10-yard run in the fourth quarter by Saquon Barkley with about 10 minutes left, Brian Burns stays put once Daniel Jones goes to hand the football off to Saquon. And this isn't a zone read. This is just a drop-back play-action from under center. And Brian Burns does not uses backside pursuit to tackle Saquon Barkley for what would have been like a two-yard loss there. He's just an unblocked defender. He's wasted because he has to respect Daniel Jones because Mike Kafka is bringing Sterling Shepard underneath in motion, right? Or I shouldn't even say motion because it's post-snap, but underneath just like they did several times when they would just pass and then dump the football off for an easy completion. So Mike Kafka used the pass to help assist the run by keeping the defense honest and it helps slow down those backside pursuit defenders like you would on a zone read type of play. So you could see the Giants adjust in little ways like that because I, I feel like, and I think you would agree, yes, Jeffrey Simmons owned the point of attack. He let's let's exclude him from the conversation. But outside of that, I felt like Carolina, their defense, they were much tougher than what the Tennessee Titans had up front, other than way Jeffrey tougher. Simmons. Yeah. Way tougher. Way tougher. Pretty good front. Saw Derek Brown do something. There were a couple names I didn't even know. And then my guy, man, I don't know. There's there's been two players on the Jets in recent memory that for whatever reason I always liked. One was Foley Fatakasi. I thought he was one of the most <laughs> underrated players in the league. And then another one was Henry Anderson, who yeah, was on Henry this front. Anderson. Wow. And then and then there's another player who we know really well who was on this front, Matt freaking Ionitis, who was making plays all down the line of screen. I'm like, what the hell is Matt Ionitis? Like, how old is this guy? I don't even know how old he is. He might even be like, you know, 28 for all. Wasn't I know. I just he also feel a like temple, dude. I feel like he went to temple. He definitely was I a Matt Rule temple connection. I think he was. I, I'm not 100% certain about that, but I do believe he was. Mike Kafka did adjust by using the play action rollout game to slow down the pass rush and open up yep. some lanes that ended up happening in the fourth quarter where Saquon Barkley again, man, dude, this guy runs so freaking low to the ground. I, I love to see. And some of the, some of the holes that he did hit, I mean, there weren't that many of them, but some of the holes that he did, did hit, man, they were really, really tight. And you could see that decisiveness that he showed in week one kind of bear out. So Jonathan Stewart, if you're listening to this right now, Saquon Barkley still got it. All right, my man. Oh, he's definitely got it. This was a good game for Barkley in with with everything we just went over about how difficult they made it for Barkley. He still popped off some good runs. He still maintained, like you said, that decisiveness. He still maintained that ability to get vertical. Even at some points, I was like, man, maybe you could have bounced that outside. He decided to go vertical. And in the end, I'm happy with that decision because more times than not, the decision to get vertical is going to help your football team rather than try to bounce it outside. 
And ultimately, despite this, like you said, there was a couple really good runs from Barkley. One that we'll go over later on this podcast was a really good run where he had two sick jump cuts. There wasn't really much to work with. He had to beat two line, a linebacker and, a, and I think it was a safety just to get extra yards on this play. It was like a 16 or 15 yard game. We'll go over all that for sure. But definitely wanted to go over some stats to begin with. Definitely agree with you. Something you tweeted out earlier today, Nick, which was. A ton of motion again from Mike Kafka pre-snap motion. A ton of looks where he showed one thing earlier in the game, so may, may, albeit maybe it's a push pass, and then comes back and fakes the push pass and 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 does something different. So just like you said, adjustments. Two things that we've seen now in the first two weeks: the offensive system, and or I'm sorry, the offensive scheme and the play calling adjusted halftime or in game to create things for the offense and a lot of pre-snap motion. So things we like to see. Let's dive into this thing from a drive-by-drive standpoint. So we kick things off here for the Giants. They get gifted a fumble off of a kickoff. Thank you. I'll take it. I'll take all the luck we can get. I don't care. And they turn it into a four-play, four-yard drive here. So what goes wrong here for you? What are some plays you might want to point out? I just like how in two straight plays you used Kadarius Tony on motion. And then that second play is when you kind of give him that touch pass. And there wasn't really a lot there for Kadarius Tony to operate, but he just runs in front of Daniel Jones. It was a touch pass. Everybody blocks down. And then just some of those linebackers from the backside just beat the Giants offensive lineman to their landmarks. And Kadarius Tony doesn't really have a lot of room. He just tries to string it outside. He ends up getting chased down and loses two on this play. The first play of the game was just a run by Saquon Barkley that really there was no running room either. Saquon Barkley danced around, tried to get as much as he could, and nothing ended up happening there. Yeah, I like the third down play call. It was a three by one to the three receiver side. You have an in from the number one, a corner route. So it's basically creating a high, low or a smash type of concept kind of from the number two receiver. And then the number three receiver is Tanner Hudson, who had a pretty good game. He runs a seam. And then on the backside, you basically create another high, low situation with David Sills running another corner route with an inside release and Saquon Barkley just kind of sitting down on the flat. So you have several options on this play, but Daniel Jones ends up throwing short of the sticks here because Dante Jackson... He does a pretty good job in cover two. He's the flat defender. He reads the number two receiver running the corner route, and he just sinks underneath Richie James. So Daniel Jones reads that as he's getting hit because the protection was not good up front, as you said. Gets the ball to Sterling Shepard, gets like four yards, and the Giants just kick a field goal. You ideally want to score here. There wasn't much for Daniel Jones to do on this play because Ben Bredesen gets beat inside pretty bad, and he has a guy right in his face. Yeah, that's all true. Exactly as I saw, but I did want to ask you one potential option on this play. So I don't know if I want Daniel Jones attempting this. And if he does, he really has to be disciplined with his eyes and he has to hold number 24, the corner there, and then really snap back last second and let it rip. But is there an opportunity here for him to get the ball to David Sills? Because I don't think it's too much. Again, he would have to slide and reset, but it's not too different from the throw he completed to Sills later in the game. Do we want him trying this throw? Is this to me? It was when you watch the alternative. This is only, the only even possible solution on this play. I don't know if he can make this throw. I don't know if we want him to attempt this throw. He might turn to an interception in the red zone. Did you think that was something he should have potentially gone for, or you like what he did here? Ideally, you would want him to do that, but you, you got to look at it from his perspective. He's looking at the three receiver side, and it's a similar concept, right? It's just a high low with a corner, and then Saquon Barkley hitch. But you have more space to the field for that corner route from the number two to maybe materialize. So he's just reading Dante Jackson there and then throwing based on what Dante Jackson does, who is to the field side. He could have easily have done that to David Sills, but by this time, he has to make this decision 
on if he's going to throw to Dante Jack. I don't think he has nearly enough time to snap his eyes over to David yeah. Sills and, and know what the hell is going on to the backside. So he already determined that he's throwing to the three receiver side here. Now you're just throwing to whatever Dante Jackson doesn't do. He sinks, you hit the in-breaking route. Too bad it's before the sticks, your guy couldn't make a play on it, nor could he have. It was just impossible for Sterling Shepard to pick up a first down here. But I'm not going to fault Daniel Jones for not getting to David Sills in this situation. That that would be a lot to ask when you have the twist that just totally took advantage of Ben Bredesen yeah. up the middle. Yeah, maybe that's one where if you have a little bit more time, you can maybe work back to that. And some quarterbacks, if they're you know played longer in a system, might just know it's potentially there and they can snap back and throw. But like you said, I can't fault him for that either. Next possession for the Giants, they get another gift. They get a turnover <laughs> and then they have almost like a Jason Garrett-esque drive. I want to call this one <laughs> just because it was 13 plays long and only gains 25 yards, which is wild. This is also part of the reason their yards per play at the end of the game was like under four total. Just disgusting yards per play overall, because part of it was impacted by 13 of their 70 plays going for 25 yards. So on this series, there's actually a lot more to talk about here. Where do you want to start? And then I can kind of jump jump in on whatever you may say. I like a lot of the plays here. And I think it says a lot about the offense because this is a second sudden change situation where you forced a defensive fumble off Robbie Anderson. Awesome situation. And with the first play, first and 10, it's just an RPO by Daniel Jones who gets an alert because Brian Burns steps towards the line of scrimmage. And what that does is basically to the field side, you have two receivers, Kadarius Tony and David Sills. Both of the covering defenders are an off. So that's two against two there. Brian Burns is kind of splitting the difference between Kadarius Tony and the hash. And then at the snap, once Daniel Jones goes into the mesh point, Brian Burns steps towards the hash and he must've got an alert call or something. Cause then he knew to throw the bubble to Kadarius Tony because of the pre-snap off leverage from the cornerback. And the fact that Burns wasn't going to be there to knock the pass down or track Kadarius Tony down. So Daniel Jones just delivers the ball to Kadarius Tony and Tony only ends up picking up two yards here because Dante Jackson does a really good job coming downhill here. But I like the fact that he's taking this because you're setting one of the most dynamic playmakers in space up for success with a one versus one. Cause David Sills does a good job taking care of his defender. It's just Dante Jackson beat Kadarius Tony on this rep. Yeah. I really like this play call because like you said, the RPO, everything that goes into this from the RPO to having that two by two with uh, Tony and Sills, it gives you a chance to get Tony the ball on the outside and potentially a one-on-one. -on -one, like you said, I wonder though, in this situation, if I'm curious to get your take on this because the lever the corners are playing with off leverage before the snap, which also is one of the reasons I like the play call. But I wonder if you scrap the RPO aspect of it and just snap the football and drive the ball right away to Darius Tony like quickly. And Jones doesn't really have a quick release. This is one of my issues with him traits wise. But let's as quick as he can get it out there to Tony, if that's almost better because I feel like these corners really drove down on the line of scrimmage after the RPO, after they kind of could, you know, tell it was going to either be a quick hitting throw or a handoff to Barkley or Jones was going to keep it. I almost wonder in this situation, if, if when you see that pre-snap look, if it might be better for Jones to just kind of catch the ball out of the gun and rip it out there to Tony. What do you think about that? I mean, that's kind of what he did. He didn't really read anybody here. He doesn't really read Brian Burns. He gets an alert call and he knows Brian Burns isn't where he was pre-snap and then he just fires the football to the bubble. I mean, he kind of goes into the mesh point there a little bit, a little bit into the mesh, but point. he's not reading anybody. He catches the ball and then he just fires the football to Kadarius Tony. So he's not even really doing a read. Yeah. I guess I more so meant going into that mesh point at all is really what I'm talking about. Cause to me, part of the issue with this play is the timing of the play. It takes a long time for that ball to get out there to Tony. By the time that ball's out there to Tony, the corner has already broken and he breaks from a pretty deep depth. 
Yeah, yeah. He breaks from deep depth and he does a really good job cutting off the angle. Kadarius Tony doesn't really have anywhere to operate. I just think that ultimately it's it's part partly his release and his ability to get the ball out there fast. Whatever. I still like the play design to get Tony that one on one. Potentially, it's just it's not gonna be there if the corner is gonna react like that. Drive on the ball and get there pretty much at the same time as the ball. So whatever. Interesting play call. What would be next for you here? I like how the Giants went empty on second and eight. Obviously didn't get the results they were hoping for there, but just good to see. They used a little bit more empty in this game. That was something I noted. Um, yeah, the, the empty, one, they just ran double stick there. Double stick there. You read the defender. Sterling Shepard wins inside. If you look at the pre-snap leverage of that apex defender, it is inside. So Daniel Jones knows even pre-snap that he's going to have this stick route unless eight JC Horn kind of sits on it, which he does, and he gets backed off by the number one's release. So this is just an easy pitch and catch here. They only pick up three yards to set up the third and five. Yep. And then obviously we can get to the fourth and one bootleg. Just again, good play call, but also pretty good job by Daniel Jones to beat Brian Burns to the edge here, who's a really, really good edge player for the Carolina Panthers, a player who I wanted the Giants to draft back way back when. Didn't have the opportunity to ultimately win a pick or two before Dexter Lawrence, I believe, in that class. But this is kind of the first moment I knew, Nick, that what I saw in week one, which was a little concerning, not major concern, I didn't have any long-term concerns, but I felt like Jones wasn't as fast as a runner in week one for, for whatever reason. The confidence wasn't there. And I knew after he beat Burns the edge on this play, it was going to be another, it was going to be more of the old confident runner. Saquon Barkley gets in. Brian Burns is way, but he doesn't block Brian Burns because it is in like naked bootleg. Like I said, means no one's blocking that. And man, there's no lead blocker for you, Daniel Jones. So you just have to outrun him. Just a wildly athletic play by Daniel Jones. Like yeah. Brian Burns is a great athlete, man. <laughs> He's not just a great edge rusher. He's a great freaking yeah. athlete. And Daniel Jones erased the angle that he had. So mad credit, fourth and one, two yard pickup. That's a big situation there. I and mean, you don't want to leave this situation with three points after two turnovers on your side of the field. Brian Burns ran a four five three at at, uh, at the combines. Freaking insane! That was, I believe, in the ninety seventh percentile among his position with a ninety seventh percentile broad jump. I mean, this is one of the most explosive athletes, like you said, playing on a football field. So kudos to Jones there. That's the type of play where I'm talking about earlier. Where like Baker Mayfield didn't do that in this game. He didn't have any of those kinds of plays. Um, so good play by him. The first and ten. If anybody's following along or watching on Game Pass. The 743 left that run, it kind of uh, gives a little bit of evidence of what I was saying before about the alignment and how the Giants struggle to form double teams because the offensive alignment had to be super efficient. If you watch that play, Frankie Louvu shoots the A-gap off the double team block on the nose, and it's going to be on Evan Neal now, who is trying to form a double team in this duo blocking concept with a tight end against a five technique. How is a tight end supposed to scoop block that five technique? Yeah. Evan Neal really needs to stick that five technique and then pick up this linebacker who's penetrating. There's no way Evan Neal can get to this spot to make this block. And Saquon Barkley loses a yard here because Luvu is right in his face at the point where he gets the football. So it, it could just credit to Phil Snow, credit to Carolina's defense for harassing the New York Giants rushing attack, a rushing attack that had so much damn success against the Tennessee Titans. But this is another play that you can watch and be like, oh crap, yeah, that's a, that's a good example of what what those guys on Big Blue Banter were talking about. Yeah, I love it, Nick. Let's get to the second 11 at the Carolina 37-03 in the first quarter. Rough rep here for Glowinski and Neal, that combination on the right side that I felt had a lot of trouble in pass protection this entire game. Walk us through what exactly happens on this play with those two. Both of them just go away from the, the defender who is 
a four eye technique to start. And it looks like Lewinsky is paying attention to Frankie Louvu because Feliciano has to pay attention to the three technique to the backside because Shaq Thompson is behind that three technique and he's coming. So now Carolina has a numbers advantage. They have to slide your protection or at least you have to slide the center to have to pay attention to the left side of the line of scrimmage with Saquon Barkley running a route. So you can match three versus three. So Glowinski has to pay attention to 49 Frankie Luvu at this point, who is in the a gap to his side, but at the snap Luvu bails into coverage, but Glowinski steps in that direction. Evan Neal now is paying attention to Brian Burns. So he steps in that direction. So now you have a miscommunication between Glowinski and Evan Neal and the B gap becomes wide open because each of those players thought the other one was going to handle that responsibility. Look, this is a two versus one schemed in the defensive favor because Luvu and Burns drop into coverage and the defense still won. So you just can't have that type of mistake here in this type of situation where you have number 95 just split in the B gap and take two offensive linemen right into the right into the pocket. But Daniel Jones, man, to his credit, he rolls out and he finds Richie James for five yards. Richie James kind of catches it with his nuts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer. Actually, mountain spring water from the Alps. And it's called Liquid Death. You may see your coworkers cracking these open at the 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but again, not beer. They're just parched, dehydrated, or just downright thirsty, and they're drinking the new mountain spring water brand called Liquid Death. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. So go to liquiddeath.com slash big blue if you want to try this tasty new liquid death. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sportsbooks to get the best deal. Odds Trader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, 
And Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Yeah, this was a good throw by Jones on the run, an off-platform throw, which he made a few of in this game. Um, nothing crazy downfield. That's still what we're waiting to see. But some in the 5 to 10-yard underneath range while on the move. Um, one that he threw across his body we'll get to later. I really wanted to get your take on that. If you think that's something the coaches kind of maybe went over with him and were like, dude, this is really risky. It worked. So it worked that time. That was also a James. We'll go over that. But one thing I want to go over. There's a lot more than this game, and we'll get to this as well tomorrow when we break down the Wink-Martindale game plan and the defense side of the ball. But there was a lot more of that from Carolina than I saw last week of just walking those guys to the line of scrimmage, having a lot of guys on the line of scrimmage, kind of that amoeba-based defense. And it's interesting because you now see in today's NFL, a lot of defenses going the opposite route with just playing too high, trying to keep everything underneath, a lot of four-man pass rushes. But ultimately, in this game, I think what Carolina did, like you said, in this example, having those guys kind of peppering the A gap before the snap or peppering or in different spots for the snap confused a lot of the Giants. You're getting your spices mixed up. It's sugaring, (laughs) sugaring the A gap. I like that. (laughs) Why do I say peppering? I always say pepper, sugaring the A gap, but it did confuse the Giants offensive line in the last spots. Like you guys can see this if you break down the film of that play and a few others. And you'll see a bunch of this from Wink Martindale's standpoint if you break down the Giants defense tape. But there's just a lot of examples of them looking before the snap and just that slight hesitation, like one guard or one tackle thinking he has to step this way and account for this guy. Then that guy bails and now he's a little late to get back to the other guy. He's just a little bit late. And those communication issues that it led to, it felt like it was happening a lot for the Giants offensive line in this game. Yeah, and it happened so much for Carolina's offensive line. I'm going to have a breakdown of it could be on YouTube right now. Go to Big Blue Views YouTube page of Wink Martindale's defense and how he used that in so many high leverage situations, so many third down situations, and it absolutely manipulated what Carolina was trying to do from a protection standpoint. And this is not a conversation for today's podcast, Nick, but it's something interesting I'd love to discuss with you and shoot the crap about at some point. And that's kind of this overall idea. Like, you know, we've seen, like we said, a lot of defenses move in one direction with the two high safeties, keep everything underneath, rush, rush the passer with four guys. And it works when you get those really good four pass rushers, I think. But I also feel like I just had that with Patrick Graham. And now seeing the opposite side of that, the Wink Martindale side of that, I just like this a lot more. I just feel like you have much bigger edge when you are doing things like putting all these guys in the line of scrimmage. And these and these offensive lines can't really figure out exactly where the pass rush is going to come from. And a lot of times it comes from the place they don't expect it to. And these offensive linemen are off balance or they have they can't communicate to their guys and they can't figure out how to recover in time. Whatever it may be, it feels like to me it's leading to more success, at least now. And just overall in my head, and again, we'll talk about this another time. Theoretically speaking, philosophically speaking, Nick, I feel like you have a much better advantage when you're putting the offensive line in conflict from a pass protection standpoint. But what do I know? I mean, most teams now are going the opposite route. Subpar offensive lines and subpar quarterbacks that, that that's a big reason why like we saw ryan Tannehill kind of carve up the new yeah. york giants in, in that similar situation he's a much better quarterback than a baker mayfield like i don't you're not getting away with this often you can but you're not getting away with it often against the aaron Rodgers and the patrick mahomes of the world okay then then i love to hear that because we have some matchups 
against Aaron. We have one against Aaron Rodgers. I don't think we have Mahomes this year, which is very nice, but we do have one. Very nice. Yeah, very nice. One coming up against Rodgers, though. So we'll get to that. That's not for this podcast. So anyway, we get here to a third and six after Jones does find Richie James there, which was a good play by Jones. I really like the design here from the Giants to get that kind of natural pick created for Tanner Hudson to run under. And I thought this was a good ball by Jones. This is not some, anything too crazy. Look, I'm not trying to overinflate Daniel Jones here. It's like a five to 10 yard throw. It's, a, it's only a six yard throw total, but I mean like the ball travels 10 yards in the air, but just watching it on the film, the release point was so perfect. It was so over the top. It's like, this is like, this is what he worked on with Cutcliffe for all those years to perfect those upper body mechanics when he's throwing from such a clean bait, you know, a clean pocket balance base. And the ball comes right over the top and it rips down and it's just placed so perfectly, so on time with a good amount of velocity, tons of rotations on that football. And it hits him right in the number. Like it hits him exactly where you want to hit Tanner Hudson there. So just thought this was a good ball by Jones, good play design and a good route by Hudson. Yeah, I love the play design even more so than the throw because you have a two-by-two set. Kafka motions Hudson to a stack tight off the line of scrimmage with Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony, it's man coverage, by the way. Carolina's man coverage, and they get caught in man coverage. It gets confirmed at the motion that it is man coverage because the corner follows Hudson. And then Kadarius Tony just right off the line of scrimmage releases inside. So now that defender who is covering Tanner Hudson has to work over the top or underneath that release to get to Tanner Hudson. If Tanner Hudson releases inside, of course he releases inside. That's the design. And Tanner Hudson has all this space with that cornerback who is now trapped because he has a route from Kadarius Tony working underneath him. There was no switch. There was no banjo coverage. Tanner Hudson is now open. You run two horizontal deep crosses with Kadarius Tony and Sterling Shepard, and then a clear out with David Sills. Tanner Hudson, wide open, baby. Nice delivery there from Daniel Jones. Pick up a first down on third and six. Love that play design. Yep. All right, let's get to the next play. The first and 10 from the Carolina 18. This was one of the play calls I didn't like from Kafka. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I thought the route combination here with kind of that, the wheel. I don't really see where Jones can go with this ball. Like he can throw that wheel route maybe to Richie James, I guess, but I feel like that's a super risky throw and elsewhere on the field. There's just nothing there. looks like he wanted something as a quick inbreaker, but the linebackers in the, in, in the way there, what did you think of this play call? Anything specific that stood out to you? No, I didn't love this play call either. This was a, a wheel from the number two with the number one kind of going in like a post wheel combination to the field side with Sterling Shepard just leaking out from the backside. The Giants probably anticipated a coverage that didn't materialize. And if you watch the play, there's really nowhere for Jones to go here. You have two defenders for Carolina sync to eliminate the post wheel, another defender kind of underneath. I thought maybe Daniel Jones rolled out to his right. Was that the design of the play? Because Mark Lewinsky kind of blocks out in that direction. But Evan Neal's getting pressed kind of back into Daniel Jones, and he just stays put in the pocket. So I don't think that was the case. So yeah, this was one play where I was just like, I maybe scrapped that at this area of the field. I understand what you're trying to do here, create some sort of confusion up at the top of the screen. But with three defenders in that area with just two routes, it just didn't work in this situation. Agreed. Maybe a play they can scrap. And we got We got to speed this drive up, Nick, because we're, we're going in depth on this. We don't want another two hour bang banger here, though. I do think some people enjoyed it, but we we know some not it's not for everyone. So let's just talk about, I guess now let's fast forward to when they got inside the red zone, that that goal to go series. What did you think of these play calls? There's they've taken a lot of flack for this. At least my Kafka has. I personally liked the play calls here for starters. I know people didn't like that second and goal play, but this one specifically for me, Nick, I loved it because, and I'll stand by it because earlier in the game, he already set this play up by running the push pass to Kadarius Tony. 
And on this play, he fakes the push pass, uses what he shows, tries to run with Jones. Now, ironically, if he did go back to the push pass with Tony there, I do kind of feel like Tony would score because the defender slips on that play toward his side, and they would have got a little lucky there. And Tony can, in my opinion, beat the rest of them. But what did you make of that play call before we get into the third and goal? Because that, that one is the one that really stands out. Yeah, like we said on the reaction podcast, it was creative down here. And you could say it's it's getting cute, but I don't necessarily think it's irresponsible or anything like that. You try to do wildcat direct snap to your best player with power gap, something you had a lot of success against Tennessee doing. It did not work because backside pursuit defenders tracked Barkley down from the backside, but you still picked up three yards. And I didn't mind, like you said, I think you broke it down really well. You have the motion with Kadarius Tony. You have defenders following Kadarius Tony. You fake the pitch, the little, or the touch pass, I should say. And then you have lead blockers. It's just the linebackers were so aggressive to come downhill and just nail Jones. I did not hate that either. And then what was it? The third and eight play. This is the one where people were talking about on Twitter, Sterling Shepard's open in the end zone. But honestly, man, Daniel Jones would have to hit that back foot and then fire the football. The safety is still square to Daniel Jones and to Sterling Shepard at this point. And Dante Jackson is underneath it, there's a throwing window there, but it's not the it's not the most egregious mistake. I do think, though, Daniel Jones probably bailed the pocket a little bit early. The pocket does get muddied. Evan Neal does a pretty poor job protecting the inside, and Daniel Jones ultimately gets sacked. So I think you can probably ding Daniel Jones for bailing the pocket early, which might have led to him missing Sterling Shepard. But the pocket was compromised, and there wasn't much other than the Sterling Shepard play. And I, I do like that, though, man. You just flare Sterling Shepard out to the deep half right there where one defender is, and you have all that space to work with in the back of the end zone with Saquon Barkley in the flat to suck up the cover two defender. Just didn't materialize because blocking didn't really hold up. Yeah, so for me on this one, Nick, I do. I would definitely assign a little bit more blame to Jones because not, not necessarily to Jones. I just want to make that clear. It's more so the great quarterbacks are making this play. And that's what it comes down to. We're looking for greatness here. Both you and me, I know you're on. Some, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, and I know you don't disagree with that. I wasn't trying to say he did for sure. I know what you're trying to say in your breakdown, which is true too, which is it's hard to blame him because it's a really tough play. But that's kind of what the red zone is, man. It's just, and I know you know this. I'm just trying to say for the, for the listeners, the quarterback has limited time. He has limited space. He's got to make quick decisions. And Shepard runs a pretty crisp route, and he does offer a lot of space toward the back of that pylon for Jones to throw with anticipation and lead him to a spot where he can make this catch. But Jones has to make that decision quickly. He has to snap his snap his hips, throw that football with anticipation. He doesn't. He doesn't process as quickly enough. And once again, he does something weird in the pocket. You look at him on this play, he kind of falls forward in an off-balance way and puts his hand out to kind of touch the back of Andrew Thomas. It just goes to show, and this was a good example of what I saw a lot in the first half from Jones, he doesn't recover. He doesn't allow the DN. Like, you, he's got to give Evan Neal a chance here to recover and push the DN up the arc like we see Andrew Thomas do, right? Like, Andrew Thomas looks like he might get beat at the beginning of this snap from a bull rush. He recovers and pushes the, the defender inside. Evan Neal doesn't have as clean a rep, but I feel like Evan Neal can recover here. So why is he pat The minute he gets any sense of pressure from Neal there, he's he's off balance, he's falling forward, and he puts his hand on Andrew Thomas, like I said. Instead, slide, reset, stop panicking, stop moving your feet so much in the pocket. And this is just an example to me of two things that Daniel Jones struggles with. Quick recognition in the red zone and processing and throwing with anticipation and then panicking within the pocket and not sliding and reset in the pocket. So while I don't want to knock him for this because it is a tough play, the great quarterbacks make this play. And on this play, two of his worst, the only two traits that I really have concern with at this point for Jones, but they're really big ones, show up for me. So 
for me, it is a missed opportunity for sure. I think you actually put that really well. I didn't mean to come off like that you would be wrong here because you're right. Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, they recognize this and they throw a dart on a line to Sterling Shepard in this situation. And he's there. It looks like Daniel Jones takes his eyes off of that and then works to the to the primary part of the field or the middle of the field where there's three different routes to see if any of those guys are open. And by that point, Jones is just absolutely screwed. And I just don't really know why he he did this all game, right, Dan? He bailed the pocket a little early quite a bit in this game, which was something that kind of made me look at it during the broadcast and be like, I'm not really 100% certain why he's doing that a tick or two ticks too early. So it's something to definitely monitor throughout the coming weeks. So maybe a missed opportunity here for four more points. The Giants do put three on the board. Now we get to their next series, which is five plays for eight yards and a punt. So obviously this is not ideal. This is not what you want to happen here. I want to talk about the first play here. We'll start there. This is 12-15 in the second quarter, in case anyone's following along on Game Pass. I did really like this design here with Sills on the deep post clear out, the two deep overs off of play action here. This could have been a really big play, I thought. But unfortunately for, Dan- for the Giants on this one, Really tough rep for Josh Azudu. I mean, even if he recovers and just even just holds ground for a quick second, this could be a really big one for the Giants, I thought, here on, again, an excellent call with Sills clearing out the deep post, and then Tony and Shepard both pretty much open on the deep overs. If Jones has even any time, I think he hit Shepard at the very least here. Um, you know, other people in my replies, Nick, saw this differently. This is why I wanted to bring this up with you. Some people said... Jones still has the opportunity here to slide and reset after avoiding the initial pass rush from Azudu. So if he makes one move, let's say there to avoid that pass rush that Azudu gives up, slides, resets, then he will have the chance. Instead, DJ does do what he does at times, which we just mentioned, collapses the pocket by moving forward and trying to beat the beat him, beat them by running. Um, he's not able to do this. So what was your take on this based on what I just went over, kind of the replies, their opinion of it, and then what I originally said, which was kind of, this is more on a Zudu. Yeah, the, the people in your replies are right. It, it, it's on a Zudu too. It's collective. It's, it's, it's football. This is the way it happens. There are times where you can step up. You have Saquon Barkley in protection with you who's helping out Josh Azudu. All you got to do is avoid this guy. And I know bullets are flying. I'm sitting here in a computer chair talking, but I've seen Tom Brady. I've seen a lot of quarterbacks sidestep that rusher reset their feet. You know what the play is, right? As a quarterback, you know where your guys are going to be. If you look at the middle of the field here, there's no way Kadarius Toney and Sterling Shepard are going to be covered because David Sills cleared out that entire side of the field. So if Jones just reset his feet and threw the football here, then this would have been an explosive play created through the Giants passing attack. But I also get the fact that he saw an opening and he thought he could take it. It's just, it's difficult for the offensive lineman to hold Yuter Gross Matos because the offensive lineman doesn't know if he's protecting his outside shoulder or his inside shoulder. So as Jones steps up, Yuter Grossmatos just shoots through the inside shoulder to, to hit Daniel Jones, and it's like a one-yard gain. But I would prefer the quarterback to keep his eyes downfield to reset, square up, and then deliver a strike to Sterling Shepard, who is virtually wide open on this play. Yeah, and that's what we talk about when we talk about pocket manipulations, that ability to remain calm in the pocket, just slide. There's too much movement from Daniel Jones with his feet when he's in the pocket. Stay stationary, keep your feet, you know, ground your feet and then just do what, like watch Tom Brady. Look at what he does and look at what Drew Brees used to do. It's all movement in very lit. They are not really going crazy moving their feet. Like you said, they're sliding, they're resetting, but then they're getting back to a stationary ground there to throw the football. I just, that, I don't know. It's year four, Nick. I just don't know if that's ever fixing itself in year four. And I don't know if this can ever 
if like I don't know what a ceiling is with a quarterback who doesn't have that trait. We'll we'll see what happens. It has to be fixed if we want to. I think if we want to move forward with him long term, and that was a big issue for me in this game for sure. I think it's obvious on tape, but he does follow it up. Daniel Jones, a really good play, I thought, on second and nine here that maybe you want to go over. Thought he did an excellent job working back to Shepard here through the ball with very good velocity and ball placement. Yeah, Dan, this is a good play design, too, because you have Tanner Hudson, who is in line as well. He's not even in line. He's actually an H back, but he's close to the tackle to that side. And he releases to the flat. And what that does is remove that underneath defender to create the throwing window to Sterling Shepard, who is the number one receiver to the three by one side. So Sterling Shepard just runs like a what, 10, 12 yard curl with an outward stem just to create a little bit of separation against the defender who has outside leverage against him. And then as Tanner Hudson runs towards the sideline, that just removes that defender from the underneath portion. So Daniel Jones sees what's going on. This is a simple curl flat combination with Kadarius Tony as the number two receiver running just basically a deep over to occupy the safety. And Daniel Jones throws a nice strike, good velocity, move the sticks. Yeah, good job by him in that situation, I thought, which I wanted. That, this is an example, if you want to look at the tape, at least for me, of an of him being calm in the pocket, of him working back to Sterling Shepard, staying patient, not really moving around too much in the pocket or worrying too much about the pressure. It helps to not have major pressure here. And I guess that's just going to be a thing with Jones. When he gets clean pockets, it's going to be a different quarterback than when he feels that inkling of pressure. But I just, again, I just want him to start trusting his offensive line a little bit more to recover. But either way, good play here by Shepard. Good design. Good play by Jones. The only other thing that stood out to me on this drive, because this was the drive that the Giants got screwed on, in my opinion. I stand by it. They had the big play to Tony for 47 yards was negated by a bogus, in my mind, offensive pass interference call, which basically took 57 yards off the board because it backed them up 10 yards, put them in a second and 25, which they're never getting out of. The drive box down after that. But the play on first and 10, Nick, with 10.52 in the second quarter, it just stood out to me, Nick, because it was pretty much one of the, ex- it was an exact example to me at least, and I'm curious to get your take, obviously. I love going to you because you always can either correct me, school me, or get me going where I need to go and learning what I need to learn. But this struck me as one of the exact examples of the issue that Evan Neal had when we watched his <laughs> yeah. college film, and specifically in the run game, and that's staying balanced because here he is. It's a key, He's playing a key role in this play. It's a run stop for a five-yard loss, and if you watch the snap here, the Giants are actually getting their first look here against a somewhat lighter box from the Panthers. But again, Neil is just kind of top heavy off balance and has a really bad rep in the run game here. It's still an Oki from with those linebackers pushed up, but it's five guys that are basically in the box. You don't have those safeties too close. One safety is kind of just outside the box. It's a strong side run to the field. And yeah, Evan Neal just fall. This isn't the only time he did this. This was a terrible drive by the way, for Josh Azudu and for Evan Neal. And Evan Neal leans into contact against Ioannidis, and Ioannidis just grabs his shoulder pads and shoves yep. him to the ground. So by the time Saquon Barkley has the football, Frankie Louvu from the backside and Ioannidis are right in his face. It's a loss of five on this play. The Giants run blocking, they just it didn't seem like they have the continuity. A lot of it is because of what the Carolina Panthers were doing, like we broke down, but they didn't seem to have the same continuity that they had last week, and they seemed to struggle. And Evan Neal specifically did not have the best game, and plays like this are an excellent indication of that. Yeah, unfortunately, it was not a great follow-up for Evan Neal. Um, and I again, we'll get to this later because I want to get your take on it, but Mark Lewinsky, I thought, was was not good in pass protection in this game at all. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay, so the fourth drive was another one where and this was starting to be that lull in the game for the Giants offense. There's four straight drives here where they 
had five plays, three plays, three plays, and three plays. Didn't go double-digit yards on any of them in total yards, though they did obviously have the first down on one of them, but total yards. This play was this drive was three plays of four yards here. Um, so any plays that stood out to you, I have the second and six and the third and six written down, but I want to put the floor over to you. I want to, I'm sorry, pass, pass the buck over to you and let you break these down first, and I can kind of roll off of that. Yeah, the Panthers hit the Giants with a simulated pressure, something Wink Martindale threw at Baker Mayfield plenty of times. They just load up the line of scrimmage with six different defenders who could possibly be blitzing, and Evan Neal has to take Shaq Thompson, who loops around number 95, who's the initial three technique, so you eliminate the left side of the line of scrimmage and create a free rusher with Brian Burns. Luckily, Daniel Jones realizes this and knows he has to throw hot. So he throws a Saquon Barkley, but the ball just kind of dies because Brian Burns is right in Daniel Jones's face and it just goes incomplete to set up the third and six. Yep. And on the third and six, again, this is not really. So I put this on Twitter, got some feedback from it. Um, maybe adjusted. Look, there's not really much. There's not really many options for Jones here, but this is just another example here. I've where I really don't want him to bail and roll to the right here. I'd rather him, like I said, slide a little bit to the left, reset his feet, and maybe then flip back to see David Sills on the outside there. It's No, it's not part of the progression. I understand it's not it's not within the timing of the route, but maybe worst case, you throw it toward the sideline, either goes out of bounds or to Sills. It's still better to me than what this option of just bailing right here because I know the pressure's coming, but the defender's going to have to, and Glowinski is turned to with his back, with his, you know, his face toward Daniel Jones, his back to the line of scrimmage. But the defender still has to loop around him. That's going to take time. Jones can slide to the left, reset, and try to look for something back to the left. There's nothing on the right side of the field here. I don't know. I just feel like, to me, it's not the best time to bail. I think I know what Daniel Jones is trying to do okay, here. Let's hear so it. this is similar to what we broke down before. You're going to have basically two smash concepts against cover two. Not a bad not a bad play call against cover two too high because you know the honey hole. So as long as that underneath flat defender can get sucked up by the underneath route, then you could have that honey hole shot, that seven, that corner, right? So on this play, you have Sterling Shepard running the under route, and then you have Richie James running the corner route. I think Daniel Jones rolls to his right here because he expects 24 to come downhill on Sterling Shepard or possibly account for Daniel Jones's athletic ability, which would have opened up a, a throwing window to Richie James, but 24 plays this really well, and he sinks underneath Richie James. He stays at depth, and then that right there removes any sort of success for the play. But that's what I think Daniel Jones thought there. I thought he thought the 24 would get closer to the line of scrimmage and not sink to depth. And he's just relying on that. And once that's removed, there's really nowhere for Jones to go with the football. Yeah, and that's fair. Again, it's not there weren't many options here, but the result of this play was another miss for the Giants. So they punt away there. Now they get the ball back. Another three-play drive for only nine yards on this one just before the end of the half. That obviously the half is playing a factor here. But at the same time, we have the worst decision Daniel Jones made all game. And quite frankly, I don't want to understate this. And I'm sorry if this sounds harsh to those who are offended in some ways whenever we may say negative things that we believe are objective about the quarterback of the Giants. But this is not, like, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, every quarterback makes mistakes. Every quarterback misses reads. That is true. Some quarterbacks miss reads. They don't get through the progressions fast enough or they're just not good processors. And even the best processors will miss some reads. But this specific throw that Daniel Jones made is not made often. Yes, someone's going to point to, oh, my God, I saw Justin Herbert throw that pick uh, around the goal line. When, But no one's taking into the context that Gerald Effort, who's not in shape and shouldn't be on the field for as many snaps as the Chargers are putting on, was out of breath, 
didn't run the route and didn't get to his spot. Also, Herbert didn't throw that to an underneath linebacker who he just completely didn't read. He was intercepted by the guy in coverage on Everett. This pass by Jones is to an under is, is almost intercepted for a pick six with a minute 30 on the clock in a six, six game that literally would have put seven of the total 12 points in the game on the board, a backbreaking interception pick six. This should have been that would have put the giants in my mind in a position where they were going to have a tough time coming back from luckily he dropped it. But again, this is the same error we saw against the Rams last season and the same error we've seen at times from this quarterback that in my mind is completely unacceptable to not read that underneath linebacker. Do you have, uh, do you want to break this play down, Nick, or do you have a different opinion of it? You should not make this throw. And what Daniel Jones is seeing here, the Giants are running hitch seams. It's a good cover to three beater. And that's exactly what the Carolina Panthers are aligned. And you run the number two receivers up the seams and you run just curl routes from the two outside guys trying to work the clock. You want to hit those curls, get them out of bounds, conserve your timeouts. So Daniel Jones here, Frankie Luvu is aligned on the hash, essentially, just outside of the hash. And typically what Phil Snow was doing with his defenders throughout the game, if it's within five yards, you know, to account for the rule book, he flares those defenders outward. He always chipped the release of the number two or the number three, if it was a two by two or a three by one set. Well, Luvu does not do that. Luvu hauls ass and works underneath the number one's release, which is Sterling Shepard, the curl route. He hauls ass to get underneath this ball, and Daniel Jones just never accounts for him. There is no rhyme or reason for Daniel Jones to throw this football if he knew Frankie Luvu was there. You're not going to fit that ball into that place. You don't have that type of arm talent, and it's not worth the risk at this juncture of the game. So this was a terrible terrible decision by Daniel Jones. And all I have to say is he's so lucky and we're so lucky that Frankie Lubu had some slippery fingers, man. Cause yeah. if Frankie Lubu, if he spit on his gloves, if he had some wax on his hands yeah. or, or anything to, to just stick, you know, stick them. Remember stick them in like the eighties before yeah. we were born. Little giants, little giants. Yeah. That, whatever that is like catch the football. And then you never seen the movie little giants. I don't think so. What? Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> we might need to stop the podcast entirely. Nick Colada, have you never seen the movie Little Giants? I've never seen Star Wars. I, I, I didn't see it. Different. This is a football movie. Oh, my God, dude. You have to watch this movie. Find I'll, a way. I'll, watch it with Diana. Diana I'm sorry. I'm, watch it with, nah, with the wife. Yeah. yeah, watch it with Diana. She would enjoy this. She would definitely enjoy this movie. It's a fun kids-type movie, but it's amazing, Little Giants. I've been anyway. watching Little Giants for the last decade. <laughs> yeah, really. Okay. Been They've been Little so... <laughs> abysmal for so long but yeah end of the end of the and you can see daniel jones's body language when he yeah, releases he this football he he knows he's like i am effed i am screwed yeah. luckily frankie <laughs> lubu dropped it man but lubu bro talk about just having one hell of a game if he if he hung on to that ball but the key point here for me nick is this what you said earlier if jones knew that there was going to be a linebacker underneath in that spot he never makes this throw and that's the issue right there jones doesn't read it he doesn't read the underneath linebacker and those are like some of the e the, the eli manning type interceptions that made us pull our hair out and you could say everything you want about herbert brady making some interceptions at times everyone makes bad throws they don't have those situations pop up often if ever where they're just simply not reading they're not noticing these things that are key to the game um and so we saw that with taylor rap and the rams last year i don't need to go back i need i don't need to beat a dead horse but these are plays that have to turn from man eh, once or twice to zero to literally zero you cannot make that decision so 
especially when when, when you know yeah. like he should have knew the coverage at this point too pre-snap it's cover four it looks like it looks like a quarters type of coverage eliminate the explosive play but then the safety to the throw side buzzes down to take tanner hudson's seam route and then his middle of the field closed you have off leverage slightly outside from both the cornerbacks and both the underneath defenders flare to the curl flat with the one middle hook it's a cover three type of defense, and he still doesn't know that that defender is going to be there, or he just doesn't anticipate Luvu's speed to get there because he does kind of haul ass. But either way, it's unacceptable. Yep. And so we went over. We don't need to be the dead horse, but we get to the end of the half. You know, really ugly half from the offense. Let's be honest. They put up six points, but those were two gifted. You know, they had four yards on one of their field goals and 25 yards on 13 plays on another one of their field goals. So really... They didn't do much of any offense in the first half there. So definitely something they're going to want to improve. They don't want to play games like this. It worked out this game, but it's not always going to work out. They get to the next half, the second half, and it's a little bit more of the same on that first drive, unfortunately. They go three plays. They gain negative one yards before punting here, Nick. I don't have too much on here. I thought the only thing I had to say on this one, Nick, is on that third and 11 play, it's a tough down and distance for any offensive coordinator in the NFL. But I really thought it was a pretty good design here on 3rd and 11 by Mike Kafka. I thought Tanner Hudson did a pretty damn good job of finding the soft spot in the zone. And this is kind of where the arm talent does show up, in my opinion, for Daniel Jones. Everyone says he has adequate arm talent. It's pretty good. But I'll be honest. The Justin Herberts, the Patrick Mahomes, the the Tom Brady's, whoever you want to say, are not skipping this ball 15 to 20. It's probably a 15 to 17 yard, 17 yard throw from the launch point are not skipping the ball here low to Tanner Hudson. They're probably darting that thing with a lot of velocity, hitting Hudson and picking up this first down on this really good design and really good job by Hudson to find the soft spot. So to me, I wanted to point that out because I did not like how this ball skipped in there. Neither do I, but I was curious to Derek Brown get his mitt on that throw. Because it's very close. And I like Daniel Jones's delivery. It's overhand. It's a right. good delivery. And it has to be here because Brown gets his hand in the air. And when you slow it down, and I know this isn't great for audio, it mm. looks like it might slightly deflect a little bit. Ooh, that's I like the that. Case, that makes me feel so much better. Because you're all right. The delivery is good. It's over the top. He's got the mechanics down, the Daniel Jones mechanics, the Cutcliffe mechanics, balance base. So there's no real reason for it to skip. So that, that's a great point. I, I think you're right, too, because there really was the only it, it was kind of an outlier throw, right? Like that was the only throw of the game besides, I guess, that early one to Shepard. But he was on the run for that one or it might have been Shepard, whoever it was that kind of bounced and kind of didn't get on target. Yeah, but then there's the second and nine play, too. You want to go over that one, Dan? Yeah, go for <laughs> yeah, that. This, yeah, the second and nine play, man. I mean, it's all play action. I love the play design. You have Kadarius Tony as a number two receiver running the over in the middle of the field, and J.C. Horn plays it terribly as the backside cornerback doesn't take his deep third responsibility, and Kadarius Tony runs wide open because everybody bites so hard on the play action, but Daniel Jones never looks in that direction. He's reading David Sills's route and also Sterling Shepard. doesn't realize that J.C. Horn steps down like that and it's just one of those plays man where yeah he doesn't have his eyes on it and pressure ends up getting to him because Saquon Barkley has to step up to eliminate 25 and Saquon Barkley doesn't do the best job but he gets in his way and gives Daniel Jones enough time to to attempt to make a play but when you see Kadarius Tony wide open streaking in the middle of the field it, it does kind of piss you off a little bit the football is not in his chest at that point because you're talking about the closest defender is maybe about six or seven yards away from Kadarius Tony as Kadarius Tony is looking at Daniel Jones and that defender is towards the line of scrimmage. So you're talking about a huge play left on the field right now. 
Yeah, Nick, so I almost didn't want to even go over this one because it got such backlash on Twitter. Not even backlash, just so much virality. It went so viral so fast. Look, okay, here's my take on this. The good quarterbacks are not missing this. I understand what happens here. He's reading the progression from Sills down to Shepard here, but he takes so long to come off Sills in this regard. And maybe that's just him being like, this is going to get open if I just hang on it. But we don't like when the quarterbacks just hang on those reads and wait for them to get open. We want a quarterback who's processing this fast, right? Who's He can come back to that, right? Like you can always come back to Sills there if you want to, but maybe look off, go to your next progression. Okay, Shepard. Now maybe at least flash your eyes to just see what's going on with Darius Tony here. Because if he even gave a quick look to Darius Tony here, he throws that football immediately and he puts it on him. And like you said, there really isn't, there's an over the top safety there in the middle of the field close, but there isn't, he's so far from the ball. People have been like, I I posted it was going to be a chunk yard gain. That's obvious, but I also boasted this could have been a touchdown. And if you hit Tony in stride there, given Tony's ability in space and how far away the defender is, this really could have been a touchdown that Daniel Jones left on the field by not getting over and even looking there. And it's not like it's on the flip opposite side. It's not like he's looking left and this is all happening on the right side of the field. This is the middle of the field with Tony. When he gets open, wide open on this deep over, it's literally the middle of the field. It's a blown coverage. He has to show some ability to have better vision, to have the ability to not just see such a cone view of the left side of the field, to be able to understand that maybe in his peripheral, whatever it may be, there's a guy running open. So I just can't find myself giving him a break here, right? Or like saying it's all good. This happens sometimes because this is a potential touchdown he leaves on the field by just being completely unaware. And yes, I said on Twitter, I I, I completely miswrote this. I said, good blitz fuck up by Saquon Barkley. And then I quickly... Uh, correct that in a tweet. It's not good. It's not a good execution of the blitz pickup by Barkley. I did think it was good recognition by Barkley to pick up the blitz. Obviously, he could have done a better job. But regardless, he gets in front of the defender enough with enough time for Daniel Jones when you watch where Kadaris Tony is on this play to get the ball out there. And at the very worst, Jones can ground himself if he realizes Tony is open and throw that football while getting hit, while the pressure is bearing down. That's what the good quarterbacks do. You watch that Herbert Mahomes game. How many times did Herbert or Mahomes, Nick, throw a football with pressure coming right down on them and then crashing in and hitting them to the point where Herbert almost broke his ribs. He was taking so many shots while standing tall in that pocket. And Daniel Jones has done that in his past. It's been one of his better traits, but it felt like in this game, he was bailing a little bit more often. And this is another example. He bails forward, ends up turning into a nothing rushing game again. And again, I just, I can't give him a break here. This was a huge play left on the field and the great quarterbacks are never missing this. 100%. And you're right. And it's the same takeaway that I had about Daniel Jones too. He just, it felt like to me, he was trying to bail much more than what I've seen him do in the past. I always thought of Daniel Jones as someone who relatively would want to pass the football more than, than run. Now I know there are, have been games and situations where that might not have uh, bared out, but in this game, man, he was so quick to run. He had a pocket here. And I get it, man. If you look and you freeze it when Daniel Jones' feet are set, Andrew Thomas has the absolute clamps on Brian Burns. Yeah. Mark Lewinsky isn't blocking anybody because that three technique slanted towards the center. So he has an ostensible alley right there to run through, but it just wasn't wise. And he just, I think, thought about it too much. I think it's in his mind like, oh, do I take it? Oh, maybe I should take it. There's an alley here. Oh, there's a guy coming off my right. Maybe I should run this football. And then instead of actually going through his progressions and realizing that Kadarius Tony is open, he just tucks the ball and tries to run and then loses two yards. He's got to be better than that in that situation. And I think he played a good game overall, but every week I feel like we do come here and, and we discuss plays 
that do get left out there. And I do believe a lot of quarterbacks lead plays on the field, but, but, but you, but it can't be so consistent. We need to see some of these plays be seized. And sometimes they are, you know, those are the big plays that happen, but Daniel Jones isn't really known for throwing a lot of touchdown passes. And that's just the sad reality of, of his career so far up until this point, despite the fact that he hasn't had all that much help. Yeah. And I think you actually said that much better. So I want to walk it back. It's not that the great quarterbacks never missed reads like this. It's that they don't do it as consistently, consistently as Daniel Jones. And in such inopportune spots, like, this was the broken play of the game. This was one of the Giants' only opportunities. They had the, the, the double move by Shepard on the vertical route where he got held, where that could have been a touchdown. This is one of the only other potential really awesome chunk yard plays that was great design, blown coverage. Tony is wide open running that deep over. And it's again, it's not on the right side. It's in the middle. Have some peripheral vision. Stand tall, ground your feet, and throw that football. Don't leave a play like that on the field because that can be the difference in the game. It wasn't the difference in this game. Thank God the Giants found a way to win this game. That's not going to be the case against some of the best teams are going to have to play, not just this year, but moving forward in the future years. If we are going through with this thing with Daniel Jones being the quarterback, which I know some people want him to be the quarterback for the next five, 10 years, whatever it may be, he can't leave plays like this on the field. It just can't. A hundred percent, Dan. But I do love the fact that Daniel Jones really steps up on this next drive. Yeah, exactly. And that's the cool thing here because there's two components to why, again, at the beginning of this podcast, and I know me and Nick, you agree with this because we talked about this through text. This was not a bad game for Jones because despite all the all the harsh things we've said about him already and his, you know, him bailing from pockets, not looking very comfortable in the pocket, not really processing things at a fast level. That's, I guess, just Daniel Jones. He still comes up with so many big plays that we talked about, some of the big throws, but also he does it at opportune times. I think that's the key here. The Giants at this point had what? Five straight drives where they didn't even get double digit yards. They had th- three plays on three of those, uh, three plays on three of those, five plays on one of those, four plays and four, four yards on the other, and then 13 plays for 25. That was their first six drives of the game, but they were still tied. And then the Panthers went down and scored a touchdown to go up 13 six. And that's exactly when Jones puts together this eight play 75 yard drive, mostly through the air. That was mostly on him. And at that time where he needed the most, when they fell behind 13-6. And so that's the good sign here. Like, that's when you have to, you can't not factor that in. That Jones, when the when his back was against the wall, he needed to pick up. Because look, if the Giants have another three and out at this point, down 13-6, it probably wasn't because Wink was playing, calling such a good game. But there's at least the opportunity for the momentum to completely shift back. Right, Nick? Like, if they punted back there, go three and outs, 13-6, Panthers score a touchdown or a field goal. Who knows if that might be the turning point of the game from a momentum standpoint. And instead, he has an eight, puts together, like I said, an eight play, 75-yard drive here for the touchdown. Obviously, there's a lot of plays to break down here, Nick. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so the second and 10, it's the second play of the series, man. Evan Neal, again, caught leaning. This is the other play I was referring to. He squares up to Matt Ioannidis, good form. And then as he goes to block, he just, his chest, well, well in front of his feet, leans into it. Ioannidis again, just sheds him real quickly, arm over, Evan Neal's on the ground. Doesn't impact the play. I thought Shaq Thompson made a great play here. This was a power gap play where the backside guard pulled and Thompson presses the line of scrimmage, sees Glowinski leave, and then just literally just goes right off the ass of Derek Brown and shoots the desired gap of Saquon Barkley to tackle him for only a one-yard gain. And it's lucky that Saquon Barkley was even able to get a yard on this play. That's just how good Carolina's defense was playing. But I set all that up to discuss the third and nine 
man. Because this One third thing, and nine, the second and nine play, Nick, is that not a good example of exactly what you broke down earlier on this podcast of how the Giants tried to run some pat? You know, they have a puller here, and it just the, the Carolina Panthers linebackers are just too close to the line of scrimmage, playing too aggressively, and they kind of and like you said, Neil obviously doesn't have a great rep on this, but Shaq Thompson makes such a good individual play on this. Yeah, Shaq Thompson makes an absolutely amazing individual play. And this is, again, Oki front. And you have Glowinski and Feliciano who are trying to uproot Derek Brown on this play. But one of them is supposed to climb to take Thompson. But Thompson plays this so well that Feliciano goes to climb. And Thompson just avoids Feliciano to undercut the run, like, like I said a little bit earlier. But it's just the way these linebackers are playing. It's the way the front has been employed. And this is against power gap. We were talking about duo before. But it was also just a lot of these other power gap plays was we saw when Glowinski would pull in this situation, you would just see Shaq Thompson shoot right off his ass and make a tackle from yeah. the backside. It's just uber aggressiveness from that defense and, you know, credit to him still lost, but you can also see 49 on this play. Frankie Luvu press the line of scrimmage really, really hard. And then Andrew Thomas is basically forced to get in the way of Luvu and Eter gross motto. So it was just, wasn't a great situation in terms of the giants being able to run the football. And as we'll see in a moment, when we get to one of their successful runs and later in the game, when they get to another successful run, it wasn't really the same way they found success last week running the football from a schematic standpoint. So I'll be interested to hear you break those down. But before we do that, let's get to this third and nine throw from Daniel Jones. In my opinion, it was the best throw he made in this game. Easily. This was an amazing throw and it was such a clutch throw. I mean, the Giants are down right now, man. This is a third and nine. You're backed up in your own territory and Richie James runs a good route here. And the thing I love most about this, because like we said, like I said earlier, those underneath defenders, those curl flat defenders, they were really chipping the releases of the number two receivers. And you can see Brian Burns does that to Richie James here. And what that does, man, as Brian Burns goes from close to the line of scrimmage to chip the release of number two receiver, it expands the throwing window. And one of the things I love most about this play from Daniel Jones is Richie James stops and he's basically directly behind Brian Burns. And you have four defenders around him. Basically, Richie James is in the center of a box. Daniel Jones doesn't throw it to Richie James here. Daniel Jones throws with anticipation and throws Richie James open. That's what good quarterbacks do. You can see he puts it to the middle of the field where Richie James has to adjust himself, jump, make the catch, protect himself, get hit, and fall to the ground. That is an excellent processing play. Yeah, hear that? Processing play from Daniel Jones. An amazing pass with great touch over the top of an underneath defender and put right into Richie James's hand. That was phenomenal by Jones chastise number four let's let's give him credit now exactly anticipation velocity was good on this throw ball placement was perfect on this throw layered it over defenders it's crazy because this play flashes all the traits that had us excited in his rookie season all the traits that had us thinking like if he can put this thing together and find some kind of consistency and I still kind of feel that way my whole issue right now with Jones is Nick I don't know if you can find consistency this late in your career, if I'm just basing it off of like, what am I betting on? Right. Like when we're still seeing so many issues with his pocket press and, and manipulation with his processing post snap, how he sees the field. But as far as the flashes go, they're still coming. Like this is a flash of a big, like you said, when you throw with that kind of anticipation, you do something that only a bucket of quarterbacks can do at any kind of level at the NFL level. Now, when you could do that consistently, that's when you become the Tom Brady's of the world. And obviously all these elite guys, but when you can layer a ball like that with anticipation, man, it's a it's as good of a flash as you can ask for from a quarterback. Absolutely love it. And I like the first and 10 run, too. He had 16 yards from Saquon Barkley off of a weak side 
play looks like it's going to be a play action with the with the number two receiver who's in a reduced stack coming across the formation that play action slide the Giants ran all game and also showed against Tennessee but instead they hand the football to Saquon Barkley to the weak side Evan Neal somehow falls down on this play and Carolina is not in position to make him pay yeah. for that and Saquon Barkley scampers for 16 yards like Evan Neal like Oh, they got so lucky. I don't even think his feet got tangled. He just like fell. Was, I think he, it was not a good game for Evan Neal. No, it was not a good. Yeah, I think it was Ionitis again. Ionitis makes contact with his inside hand and just tosses Neal to the ground. It was it was not pretty for Evan. Like all the bad things we brought up in the pre-draft process about Evan Neal before we even knew he was going to be a New York Giant were out there on display in this football game. The Giants still freaking won, man. Isn't that kind of crazy? It is. And but Nick, don't you kind of feel like PFF, whoever's charting these games for the Giants, always has like such extreme grades for their O line. I remember like a year a couple of years ago, Lemieux had like a zero, whatever that means. He got like a zero for the game. And then like you have like Neil, the worst graded tackle. Andrew Thomas, the best graded tackle. There just feel like there's always so much extreme grading going on with the Giants offensive line. I don't know. Do you feel that way? A little bit, but at the same time, the Giants' offensive line has been very bad. Yeah, and Andrew, and Andrew Tom, yeah. yeah, it's been pretty extremely bad. And Andrew Thomas has been a pretty good football player, and it's cool, but it's only two weeks. But Evan Neal, I didn't feel like he looked at that bad in week one, but he tripped up. Like he had his feet tripped up a lot of different times. This game, it wasn't his feet getting tripped up, it was him leaning way too much. It's those balance issues. So hopefully that can get rectified. But man, he might see Micah Parsons next week. Whew. On prime time, bro. They prime have time. to figure out a way to chip. They're going to have to figure out a way to get him help for that. Oh, I mean, Mike Kafka figured out ways to help him through for both sure. of these games with Saquon Barkley, Tanner Hudson, and Daniel Bellinger. So I'm sure they're going to protect him in primetime television. Yeah, without a doubt. Let's talk about, after that run, the first and 10 Jones throw here. So the I think there's not, not a good and bad, but a good and a maybe, I'll call it, on this play, a good and maybe. So the good is... It's a really good throw from Jones off platform. Something we don't often see him do. Gets the ball to James here. The maybe is, Nick, is this too dangerous? I mean, he throws across his body. I know the old school coaching is, it's kind of changed in the way of the Patrick Mahomes of the world who can throw off platform and from such different arm angles with different trajectories and they make insane throws. But this is a risky throw, I thought. I mean, he throws almost all completely across his body. What do you make of this decision? <laughs> I think he's just trying to make a play. Right here, he probably would have been smarter to throw the ball to David Sills, who was in more of a direct eyesight and wasn't in nearly the the amount of danger that Richie James was in terms of throwing off platform across your body. That is not a throw that you necessarily want anybody to make. Patrick Mahomes can make it because he has the arm talent to make it. Daniel Jones is not Patrick Mahomes, but it didn't end up getting intercepted. (laughs) But it gets there. It It gets there. Of course, you don't want to see this too much, but it does get there. He had pressure coming down on him pretty hard. He had some open receivers on this play. If he stood in the pocket, he was going to have David Sills open on the dig route, but he he kind of bailed again a little bit prematurely, if you ask me. Play action stretch play. So he kind of you know rolls out and sets up in the pocket. Blockers are more towards that play action side. So maybe he felt like his clock was a little bit accelerated. But you convert there, you get 12 yards to Richie James, who had another solid outing here for the New York Giants. Don't want to see it too often, but hey, you know, it worked here. So let's um yeah. let's not let's not bitch about it too much. And that's also probably another reason why me and Nick are so adverse to the idea of kind of moving off your platform, bailing from the pocket early instead of grounding yourself, 
resetting, shuffling your feet like the Brady's and Breeze of the world, because it does put you in a position where you cut off half the field sometimes, and, you're, and your only option is to do that, throw back across your body instead of sitting in that pocket, grounding yourself, resetting, sliding, and then maybe finding sills. But it is what it is. It worked that time. I want to get to the first and 10 of the Carolina 31 here, Nick. 10, 15 to go in the, in, in the third quarter, I believe, at this point. Um, Tanner Hudson here. I thought he did a really good job here. I want to get your take because I maybe be overstating it. I know I kind of sometimes get really interested in these under the radar players who start to show me stuff on film, but I thought he did a really good job of kind of selling the vertical seam here and then having and looking pretty smooth on his cut to the out there. Like he did not waste much movement, did not waste much ground, kind of just got there, transitioned smoothly. And this is a really nice point in this drive because Jones is cooking at this point. He layers, he throws it. It's not a tough pass. Like it's a good design and counter by Kafka to counter the look Carolina shows here. It's a solid ball from Jones, whatever. But I really felt like this was a nice route by Hudson. Yeah, it was a good belt, good call because it was a smash concept here. You just run the seven from Tanner Hudson, who's in line on the play, and then you leak out Saquon Barkley to just sit in the flat, occupy that flat defender, and then you're going to have Tanner Hudson have leverage against the safety in the cover two look. So well, it actually was more like, a, I think, a cover six maybe look, or maybe even a quarters look. But either way, he has leverage to the outside, Tanner Hudson. Daniel Jones throws a good pass there, and you continue to move the chains. Tanner Hudson, you're right, though, man. Let's not get too excited, but Tanner mm-hmm. Hudson is, He's showing a little bit here. So is Daniel Bellinger. So it's nice to see the tight ends that we were really worried about going into the season kind of show up big. And we're, we're going to go over one of them here in just a little bit. Yeah, they're contributing. And let's get into this. Let's get into the Bellinger touchdown next here. Bellinger touchdown was great, man. This is a second and 10 play after an incomplete pass to Sterling Shepard. And this is the way you manufacture offense in the red zone with any quarterback, but specifically quarterbacks who aren't Aaron Rodgers, aren't Patrick Mahomes. And Daniel Jones here. Look, the Giants come out and pistol Saquon Barkley behind him. That's not something they do all that often. And then you motion Richie James from the far side of the field where there's a three-by-one set reduced with the tight end Daniel Bellinger, who's an H-back, the sniffer. So Richie James motions past him, and then they snap the football once Richie James reaches Kenny Galladay. Yes, Kenny Galladay. Remember that guy? So he goes across the entire formation, Richie James. Kenny Galladay runs a post. It's going to take one defender away from that side of the field. Richie James runs a wheel. That's going to take the safety away from that side of the field. So what the Giants do now, this is to the boundary side, by the way, so less space. Jones goes into the mesh point. All the linebackers bite up. So it looks like it's going to be some sort of split zone read type of run with Daniel Bellinger being that H-back, that sniffer coming across to block the end man on the line of scrimmage. But instead, this is just an RPO where Daniel Bellinger just leaks out to the flat. And now all you have is the will linebacker, Daniel Jones rolling in that direction towards the will linebacker and Daniel Bellinger. And that linebacker has to make a decision to attack DJ, which he does, or stick to Daniel Bellinger. And I feel like he was a little bit late to see exactly what was going on. Bellinger was wide open. So he just steps to Jones and Jones takes the easy points here. Daniel Bellinger also does a really good job outrunning Jeremy Chin to get into the end zone. But I love this play design, man. I thought it was phenomenal. And this is the kind of stuff we were hoping we were going to get over the last two years of Jason Garrett. But obviously we did not. Yeah. And you broke it down so well. This is just another example in my mind, at least Nick of a coordinator for the New York Giants scheming up free squares, screaming up a free touchdown. I mean, look, Daniel Bellinger still does an excellent play after the catch to kind of, you know, use his post-catch speed, dive forward and get into the end zone. But let's be let's be clear about this. This was an unbelievable design by the offensive coordinator to scheme up basically a free touchdown for the Giants. And this one, you know, versus last week's where it was kind of just like that play action, throw the ball one yard. This was 20 yards out. Like this was in a position where, look, 
The Giants have proven us to this in at to this point in this game twice already that when they got down in there in the red zone, they had to settle for a field goal. This takes that all out of the equation right now. You don't even have to rely on punching it in once you get into that goal to go situation. He gets it right in there. And that's the beauty in my mind. And that's the value in my mind of designing a play call that's this good. So kudos to, to, to Mike Kafka again. I like the start to the next drive too, Dan. It was just a play action slide Sterling Shepard underneath. We've talked about this all game. It's something the Giants ran consistently. And you could see how that backside end man on the line of scrimmage bites down on the play action. And then he realizes it's a pass. And Sterling Shepard's wide open. This is an easy nine yards here. Take, you know what? Make the defense pay for being aggressive. Make them respect you. Make them respect your rushing attack. And these are the reasons you run plays like this. These are the reasons why there's a little bit more rushing room in the fourth quarter because you have success with these play action passes these play action slide passes with when you're just hitting the wide receiver for a simple completion that's basically behind the line of scrimmage but he takes for nine yards because there's no defenders around him because they're all pursuing the run yep exactly and a few plays i want to dive into on this drive and get your take on nick let's start with the second and one in the third quarter 608 it's hard for me here to figure out what the quarterback's reading but this is kind of another example of jones just making that quick decision to get vertical as a runner as part of his progression if you look over to the right, Bellinger is kind of in a free space here on the sideline. It's a free square pass. I just don't think it's in the progression, though. Does that seem like an accurate description of what went down on this play? Yeah, Dan. Ideally, you want Daniel Bellinger to get the football here, right? And you want Daniel Jones to read pre-snap how he's more than likely going to be open unless Brian Burns takes Daniel Bellinger, which Brian Burns does not, because you have three receivers, Daniel Bellinger on that side as the H back, Daniel Bellinger runs to the flat. And then you have two vertical releases to clear out from Richie James, who goes inside underneath Brian Burns and then Sterling Shepard, who runs a deep curl. Nobody goes with Daniel Bellinger, but for whatever reason, Daniel Jones looks towards the boundary side where you just have a little flare pass to Saquon Barkley and a spot route from David Sills. Both of them are covered up. And then Daniel Jones tucks it and runs, picks up five yards on the play I kind of would like to know why he didn't look to the three receiver, the field side where, where they had numbers, but I guess maybe he thought Brian Burns was going to attach to, to the H back there. And then he wouldn't be open, but Daniel Bellinger has separation by about seven yards on this play. And that's not even a vertical concept. Right, exactly. It is an opportunity. Again, I don't know if it's a progression, but I felt like there's something similar. I wanted to go over on the first and 10 after that, the five thirty-seven. I'm not going to knock Daniel Jones on this because he doesn't expect the pass protection to break down here with kind of that, again, miscommunication with Neil Gowinski. They're in a tough spot. But again, dude, if he grounds his feet here, because he's never, this is something I just don't feel like he does a lot in the pocket. He doesn't really ground his feet and make a decision. But if he grounds his feet, changes that arm slot, and just flips the ball out to Barkley here, a quick flip, I just know there's going to be a better end result than bailing right and trying to outrun the edge like he does here because you get that ball out super quick to Barkley and then it's Barkley in space here yeah I was actually going to bring up how Daniel Bellinger was open on the dig route once once the pocket is compromised and again Daniel Jones making Brian Burns look foolish but Brian Burns is a rush a free rusher here because Evan Neal has to because Evan Neal Mark Lewinsky basically have another miscommunication where they both take Frankie Luvu and Brian Burns goes in with no one touching him around the edge. Good on Daniel Jones to recognize it. And there's a lot going on in Daniel Jones' mind as he's about to get killed by this 250-pound pass rusher. But once he's rolling out, he must think Brian Burns is right on him and he doesn't really want to set up and throw the football. That's what I'd imagine. He has some space, so just 
take the yards that you can get. But if he was going to throw on the run and if he was confident enough in his ability to throw on the run, he has Daniel Bellinger on the dig route about 15 yards downfield with really no one around him. So that would have been the throw that I would say if there is a throw that he was going to make, I'd prefer that one to the Saquon Barkley one. Okay. I like that. Anything on the second and eight sills back shoulder doesn't win. It looks like the whip route might be open on this underneath, but again, not probably not part of the progression there. Um, I guess he kind of, it looks to me like kind of predetermined. He's going back shoulder to sills here. Sills doesn't win this one though. Let's, let's be clear about that. Maybe, maybe that we could talk about that. I don't know if there's anything you had to add on that. Now, JC Horn is all over David sills on this one. And yeah, it was just a predetermined JC Horn is an, is an inside leverage. So he thought he could squeeze it back shoulder, but JC Horn was all over this one. Yep. And then the drive bogs down, they get into third and 13. They miss there. Somewhat of a dangerous throw by Jones into four defenders. At least he puts it high and it doesn't get intercepted. We move on to drive nine. Another not so great drive here. Giants have three plays. They go zero yards and they punt the ball. They do. They have zero total yards, I should say. Um, The third and five here. Uh, So this is just another example to me of Mark Lewinsky kind of not having his best game, kind of not looking so great in pass production here. He tries to step through pressure, Jones, uh, again, kind of right on on Andrew Thomas. But Shep, Shep, I feel like might have been open on this one, but I don't think it was really nearly enough time for Jones. Anything, anything there on that third and five? I just like the concept here because mm-hmm. the Giants just run a mesh concept and they run a dagger concept as well. So you have the mesh from the motioning number one receiver initially from David Sills who motions and then the snap happens. So he's already in motion as the snap happens. It's not like he even sets back up. Then Daniel Bellinger or the tight end Tanner Hudson, they run the mesh. And then you have a dagger concept with Richie James clearing out being the vert and then Sterling Shepard running dig, your best route runner running the dig. So I like the concept there. If Jones had time and Mark Lewinsky wasn't blown backwards, then I think the dagger or the dig would have been open here for Sterling Shepard. But that's not on Jones, man. He, he really couldn't do anything here. Yeah, fair enough. All right, then we move on to, thankfully, a drive where the Giants start to move the ball. Again, this is a nine-play, 58-yard drive to get them into field goal range. This gives them, at the time, the go-ahead field goal to go up 16-13. So we'll start with the first and 10 here. Really great run by Barkley here. Two great jump cuts here um, to just create space, beat defenders in the hole. I love this from Barkley. What did you see on this run? So the Giants are coming out in different formations now. We mentioned formations a little bit earlier. Giants come out in 12 personnel, double Y set. So you have four offensive linemen to the right of John Feliciano, and they run strong side. So there's a lot of defenders in this area, and the Carolina Panthers have to employ a different front than what they've been employing on first down, the the Oki front that we went over. So the blocks really just... They're very efficient here. Daniel Bellinger kind of loses around the edge, but he does a good job just pushing 25 up and away. Saquon Barkley cuts, finds the hole, runs for 15 yards. Giants get a little bit going here by using big personnel. There were a couple tight end offensive tackles. Like I think Devery Hamilton played a snap or two. I think it was on this drive to try to spring something. So more adjustments from Mike Kafka to get this rushing attack going to try to win this football game because they weren't able to basically throughout the entire game. Yep. Okay, I want to get to... The second and 10, 14, 50 in the fourth quarter here. That's another play that stood out to me. So this is after um, after the Giants had the Sterling Shepard double move where he was held top of his route. Jones kind of put it in a spot. There's the big debate on who's, who's to blame for this. I think obviously their timing was messed up by the hold. I have seen some quarterbacks put make this throw anyway when there's no safety over the top. Whatever. I'm not going to get into that. What I want to get into is the second and 10 after that. I love the decision here by the Giants to attack vertically again. The ball placement 
Oh, before I get to the ball placement, I thought it was a nice route by Sterling Shepard. I thought at the top of his stem, he made a really nice move to create some separation. There is a safety over the top to some degree in the middle of the field who can close on this. It has to be a really good ball. It's a very tough throw. So the ball placement eventually is off. It's a tough throw. I don't kill Jones for the ball placement being off. But one thing that bothers me about this play watching on film, uh, Nick, there's a pretty clean pocket for Jones. I just don't understand, and I've seen him do this before, Nick, why he has to hitch into this throw. Like, why he has to take that full hitch and then try to fire into the throw. If he just grounds himself and throws from the balance space that he's already on, I feel like he has a much better chance of throwing this ball with good ball placement. I don't know if it's a, an issue of him just not trusting his arm talent or feeling like if he hitches it, he can throw it out there with more velocity and arm strength or get it to a further spot. But I just feel like the hitch into the throw here does kind of screw up the ball placement. I mean, I'm kind of glad the ball placement wasn't good on this right. throw yeah, because Dante Jackson was in really good coverage on Sterling Shepard. So I'm happy he hitched because he ended up overthrowing Shep by about five yards. And that's just another way to hitch up like that to get a little bit more torque, a little bit more power behind your throw. So yeah, if that throw was accurate, it might've been an interception. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good take. I just think overall long-term, like, his footwork after the throw, it just doesn't look great. And I think part of it is because he hitched into where an offensive lineman was to try to make the throw instead of just kind of grounding himself and throwing from that that base. But what do I know? I'm just going by what I see here. But anyway, he misses that throw or they miss that throw, whatever. But it leads to what I think is, and earlier, Nick, I did say the best throw and best play of the game by Jones was that 15-yarder to Richie James, which, by the way, mimicked in some ways that deep in that mimicked in some ways some of the best throws we've seen from Jones in his career, thinking back to like the play action seven step drops where he would rip that ball to slate in on a similar depth in a similar spot of the field on a deep end. But I could argue the third and 10 throw here to David Sills might actually be his best throw of the day when you consider that he does have pressure coming down on him. And instead of bailing to his right or trying to run forward the ball, he does slide a little bit to his left, resets, not fully on balance, and then throws a ball perfect ball with velocity over the top of the second level defender rips it to Sills here for a 16 yard game in a clutch spot on third and 10 where the giants needed it what did you take away from this play you broke it down right there this is a clutch throw this is just a big boy throw against a cover three type of look it looks like just spot drop they're not even matching routes right here so david sills just finds the void while richie james clears out that deep third defender so all david sills has to do is find a throwing window between the middle hook defender and the curl flat defender who has to pay attention to tanner hudson who is in the flat he finds the window but I, what i love most man the fact that Daniel Jones maneuvered the pocket to not allow Evan Neal's guy to kill him exactly. because he moves to the left to extend this play as Evan Neal kind of loses his rep, not terribly, but he loses his rep. And that extends the play enough to allow David Sills to come open here. And again, a little bit more touch here on this ball because it got over that underneath defender, had good velo on it. Love this play from Daniel Jones. And I think for that reason alone, the fact that he did manipulate the pocket well, which I think is one of the traits that's really been plaguing him in his career, that's why, to me, it's probably my favorite play from him. And I think probably for him, his most impressive throw. I want to get to one more play on this drive just before they settled for a field goal. The third and seven here uh, with 13-14 left on the clock in the fourth quarter. Okay, so look, I'm not going to totally knock Jones for this because it's a really difficult potential throw to make. But I not only have I seen him make the throw early in the game on the play that was negated by the offense pass interference, he does step up through the pocket and while on the move, finds Kadarius Toney. I have also seen a lot of the really good quarterbacks in the NFL make these plays, these plays, these broken jail yard plays 
while on the move, while running through the pocket. There also is a case to be made that, honestly, if he slides a little, resets, and just stays in the pocket, he could probably just get this throw off too, as in the fact that he doesn't really have to bail forward and run. But even so, once he does make the decision to bail forward and run, Kadarius Tony is running up the seam and has a there's a real big opportunity for Jones to see him, adjust to it, and make the throw. What did you make of this decision? Is it just too tough of a throw to attempt in your mind, or is it just too late for, uh, for Tony to get open? I just think Jones wanted to be very conservative here and just pick up five yards to get Graham Gano into a reasonable field goal spot because this is the exact defensive play call you want when you're running a route like Kadarius Tony runs here because Carolina who ran a lot of quarters, ran a lot of cover two, ran a decent amount of cover three. Here they look like they're going to be in quarters, but that middle of the field safety drops down to a tamper two robber look. And then both the cornerbacks to the outside drop to deep halves. So you have the middle of the field open at the snap, essentially. And Kadarius Tony gets there quickly. From this look, this is a huge vulnerability. Whenever you, whenever you run Tampa 2 robber, which is something Patrick Graham had success with, which is something that we saw a little bit from Wink Martindale, only he did it in a little bit more of a creative fashion. Kadarius Tony is open here, but Daniel Jones already d- decided to run the football in this situation. So it would have been nice, man, to see Kadarius Tony get such a huge play. He might house this. I mean, the safeties would have angles, but it doesn't seem like there's going to be a defender who's going to be able to make a play on the football once Kadarius Tony breaks that weak side linebacker. Yeah, and so just potentially missed opportunity, but I get it. They're trying to be conservative here, and don't, Jones definitely doesn't want to throw an interception or fumble it or something like that. So we move on. We get the field goal here, go up 60. I believe that's at, to get them up 16-13. Is that correct? Or that was the one to get them up 19. Or that was the one to get them up 16-13, correct? Um, we get the ball back here. Giants then get the ball, um, and there's a few plays on this drive. They drive down again for a field goal. It, this one is an 11-play, 37-yard drive. That puts a field goal on the board here. What's a play you want to break down from this one? Because you could talk about maybe the Barkley run for 10 that worked at the beginning of the drive. Um, the 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 play call on third and one here was just, again, so beautifully done by Kafka to Gary Brightwell. Um, or maybe that play that I brought up at the beginning, the first and 10 was 7.57 in the fourth quarter, Nick, where I did feel like there was a nice opportunity for Shepard. Ultimately, uh, Daniel Jones just kind of quickly checks down to Barkley. The stretch zone play to start the drive first and 10 because you motion Kadarius Tony right behind you like you've done all game. And then you use Sterling Shepard like he's going to be a split flow blocker. And then he goes underneath like it's going to be a play action pass. And you just hand the football off to Saquon Barkley. Brian Burns stops in his tracks to account for Daniel Jones as Daniel Jones rolls out here. So backside defender eliminated. That's because of the pre-snap motion. That is because the fact that Mike Kafka had success with this same play. I said before, you have to keep the defense honest. Well, man, they're freaking choir boys right now mm-hmm. because they're really honest at this point. And Saquon Barkley does a good job getting behind Ben Bredesen, who did well at the point of attack, jumps through this really narrow little hole and then explodes for 10 yards on that play. But there, there's a decent amount here to go over. I want to talk about the route combination on that first and 10 with 757. They ultimately do check down quickly to Barkley there, but I thought it was an excellent design by Kafka, and I thought there was an opportunity for Jones to hit Shepard here. Yeah, Jones, this is a little play action right here. You have Kadarius Tony, who looks like he's coming to come open on the drag, but you have defenders who drop to a depth. I don't know if I would have thrown the football here to Sterling Shepard. You have two middle hook defenders who are right underneath him, and then you have 25 whose hips are oriented at him, and he could jump on the pass here. So I'm actually fine with the check down here to Saquon Barkley on the first and 10. 
Good route combination, nonetheless. Let's go back then and move back to the big play on this drive here. The third and one, 839, fourth quarter, the Gary Brightwell play. Oh, yeah. I broke this down on Twitter. If anybody really wants to go and check that out, dude, this was such a creative play call by Mike Kafka. You need one yard. That's all you need. So what you do here is you align in freaking 31 personnel. That's three running backs. You motion Matt Burita right behind your ass, right at the snap. And then you hand the football off to Gary Brightwell, who is aligned where an offset fullback would be aligned. And then you fake pitch to Saquon Barkley at the same time. And if you look at the defense, they all hesitate because of Matt Burita's motion. And if you look, if you look at the, uh, the weak side linebacker, he is watching Saquon Barkley this whole time. 49, Frankie Luvu shoots into an open gap, which is designed to be open at this point because there's no way he's going to make this play on Gary Brightwell. And then 57 just kind of flows towards Saquon Barkley, and Gary Brightwell is running right past him at this point. Mark Lewinsky throws an excellent block off the combo to pick up the linebacker, and then Gary Brightwell explodes for 14 yards, man. The defense had no idea where the football was going. This is a very, very creative call. If anybody wants to see a breakdown of it, about two-minute breakdown, I did it. It's on Twitter. I posted it early on Monday morning. Yeah, it's just so good from an overall 30,000-foot view for me because, like you said, there's so many different pieces of eye candy on this play. There's a fake pitch to Barkley where you know the defenders are flowing. And if you even watch the play, the linebacker 57 for Carolina is really caught up here and not doesn't have his eye at all on where the ball actually is. And it's going to <laughs> where Brightwell is already past the line of scrimmage at that point. He's frozen up kind of at that point, 57, looking toward Barkley, then kind of looking back. It's way too late. Brightwell has already broken through that plane and gotten past him. That's just what, that's the exact, like 30,000 of you, that's exactly what a great play call is. The defense doesn't know where the ball is. Like that, how often does that happen in a football game? Not very <laughs> often, right? Like there's so few plays I can recount on my hand as a fan of this team or watching football in my life where the defense is totally fooled by where the ball actually goes. And no one thought on the third and one there, Gary Brightwell was going to have the football. And what does it lead to? A big gain that ultimately plays a massive role in setting up what was a long field goal that they don't get if they don't have that gain. Like, that's the key here. So just an awesome job. All right, Nick, let's wrap this thing up with the final drive and the, the third down call with the DJ run. I think that's where we can go, and then we can get into some, some superlatives from the game uh, I'm just and wrap things up there. Yeah, I mean, that's just a big, big, confidence boost to Daniel Jones that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka told Daniel Jones, like you said on the recap pod, you got to do three things with this ball. You either throw it if anybody's open and they have to be open, you tuck in a run, which he did, or you take the sack, you keep the clock moving, you punt the football and have your defense win because it's 1916 at this point. You just got to bleed the clock out. You just, (laughs) it's all you got to do. You got to bleed, bleed the clock out. (laughs) It's such a, Joe Judge way to win the football game, but it you know is, what? We have to do it sometimes. You have to do it sometimes. And at least they and were aggressive in some ways. So, oh, but dude, they were totally aggressive going yes. forward on fourth down. Like, yeah, it was excellent. But Daniel Jones rolls out here, man, and he just sees the cutback lane. It, it opens up. If you watch the all twenty-two, you can see it open up. At the time he cuts back, there's one, two, three, four, five, six Panthers defenders who are outside of the hash. So once he decides to cut back, which he decided to run quite a bit in this game to. uh probably not the smartest decisions all the time, but here it was. He finds the crease, hits it, picks up the first down, seals the win. I like the fact that this coaching staff was confident enough in Daniel Jones. Hopefully it gives him some confidence going into Monday night football where Daniel Jones has never won a primetime game. He's going into Monday night football at home against Dallas Cowboys. So hopefully 
plays like this will give him some sort of confidence. I don't know, but it's it's a winnable football game. I can't believe I didn't even know that. Sad. I for some reason thought he might have won one of those games, but thinking back, yeah, it does kind of seem pretty obvious now that he has lost all of those primetime games. So let's break that streak today. But Nick, let's wrap this thing up. I want to talk about a few superlatives. Have a little fun with this. We already went over. Uh, let's 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 take let's start here. Who was the unheralded player on film for the Giants offense to you in this game? Ooh, that's a really good question. The unheralded player on film. So we're not going to go with someone like Andrew Thomas. Is Daniel Jones too controversial? Because I don't think he I don't think he played well enough maybe to get that, but he stepped up when he really needed to to kind of put his team on his back and the, to win the football game, essentially. So I think I might go I with Daniel Jones. Player of the game, I think unheralded maybe, but I, I can understand it too. Clutch or unheralded. Do, do you have somebody who comes yeah. to mind? Maybe Richie James? Richie James would be a good call. I think I, I know I where would, you're going. I know you where know you're going. going. Yeah, you yeah. know where I'm going. <laughs> it's my boy, Tanner Hudson. I mean, look, he didn't do that much, but when asked to make plays, this dude just makes plays. And if you look at his routes, they're pretty damn crisp. He's a freaking smooth mover out there. I see traits that I like out of Tanner Hudson that I don't think I see all the time when I watch all these tight ends the Giants have cycled through, at least from a receiving standpoint. I don't think this dude's going to be some kind of blocker for them. I know that's not what he's been brought into to be, but I think he can become a part of this passing game because they need solutions in the passing game. They're not getting that much right now from all of their receiving group, from everyone on the field as receivers. So I would put Tanner Hudson in the mix there and probably give it to him. Give me the best route you saw on film this week. Best route would have been the Sterling Shepard route that it has was to be. overthrown. Yeah, that was that was a really crisp route, really set the defender up well, broke well, and then it just didn't, the throw wasn't there. Yeah, and then again, we we do credit the, the, the off-timing to the fact that Shepard was held on the play. Um, yeah. St- still both probably think the throw can be completed. Uh, best throw of the day, the day. I, so the best play I am probably leaning toward the Sills one, but the actual best pure throw of the day is definitely the Richie James throw, is it not? Yeah, that's where I'm going. Yeah, it's the best pure throw of the day. Best play call of the day, I'm going with the Bellinger TD. What would you go with? I'm going to go with the Garrett Brightwell wrong. Yeah. I knew you would. You love that play, Colin. I don't blame you. It's freaking awesome. It's just so like different and unique. That's what I think is the coolest part. It reminds it. me of high school football, man. <laughs> yeah. Wing T offense. <laughs> How does it work? Because they don't use it ever because it's so unexpected. Okay. Best player overall on tape. This is probably, a, it's not a tough one, actually. There's just such an obvious one. Never mind. So you, uh, well, Andrew Thomas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for, for a second, I'm like thinking in my head, like they averaged under four yards per play. And I'm going to give this to Joe. I was just thinking like skill players. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. There's an obvious one, Andrew Thomas. So Andrew Thomas gets it. If we have to give a second best player of the game, that's when things might get tricky there. So we'll I don't, I don't know where I would go with the yeah. second best player it of the game. Honestly, might. It, it almost might have been Jones, but like, I don't know. Cause he had so many bad, he had also balanced it out with some bad plays. Maybe it's Richie James. I think I would go with Jones. I honestly think I would go with Daniel Jones. Yeah. It might even be Barkley considering how stacked the deck was against him. Right. Like he still had some pretty good runs. And like you said, stayed vertical, kept his pad level low, despite the deck being the deck being stacked against him. So I think I actually second guy would be Barkley for me. Um, Let's move over to pass blocking grade one through 10. Yikes, man. <laughs> and this is with Andrew Thomas having a great game. Too. I know. Not I'm even gonna a go... perfect game, though, by the way, but a great game. Yeah, I'm going to go with 2.8. Yeah. 2.8, something like that. I'll give it a 
No, I'm going to give it a 1.9 because, again, like I really didn't like what I saw from Glowinski in this game. I thought he took a ma- massive step back pass blocking. Neil, not so great. The left guard situation remains a disaster. The center situation isn't great. Really, four of the five guys weren't great as pass blockers in this game. Yeah, that's why I want to go there. And I don't think the run blocking is much better. I, I think I would probably go with like a 3.1. <laughs> yeah, I'll give that one a 3 I guess I don't like to do the whole numbers, but like two nine three zero three one is fine. It just wasn't great there either. We went over why that was the case, yep. but you still sometimes need to just make the blocks and and get to where you need to be. If Carolina, to their credit, they played it phenomenally, but hey, they're losers in the end. So Nick, we started this bad boy at like midnight my time Eastern. It's now well past two a.m. We said we weren't going to do another two hour banger, but here we are delivering another two hour hanger here hopefully you guys enjoy this look i feel like when we do this there's really no filler so i don't know what we could cut out essentially we'll look into it if people think it's too long all the feedback we've gotten so far from those of you has spoken up to me and nick via dm or replies say you like it and you enjoy it so we'll keep doing it if you enjoy it and there's not always going to be a lot to talk about maybe there will be who knows it could be a great giant season but anyway keep it locked and loaded in the big blue banter podcast stay tuned coming up soon on your feeds will be the defensive all 22 film analysis and this one was fun but let's be honest the giants offense didn't really do much in this game the defense total opposite thing there so we are really excited to break down the tape of the defense i know nick is and i am as well you're also going to get some other content moving forward this week including another preview with a media member from the Cowboys. We will let you know later this week who that's going to be, but it's going to be similar to the ones we've done with Jonathan Stewart last week. And then obviously Glenn in the week before we also have one other fun thing potentially planned for this week. I think it's coming into fruition here, Nick. Um, We're going to have a fun little extra piece of content. In addition to that preview as well, coming later this week, you never know, maybe something will spark like last week where we came up with the 10 things we learned or something like that too. So keep it locked and loaded for all your giants analysis. And thanks again for tuning in, for rating and reviewing the podcast, and for, you know, supporting us along the way. And by the way, check out the NY Big Blue Banter Instagram page. That's NY Big Blue Banter. We are crushing it right now. And I shouldn't say we, because it's all Dylan, and he is destroying this thing for us. It's awesome. There's a lot of fun engagements on there. It's starting to gain some traction, so check that out as well. And that's at Scrim underscore Dylan on Twitter, if you want to go ahead and follow him as well there. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.